The Union Smack Podcast back once again. Another super review. No shorts. None of that gaga. The real gimmick is back in force partially because I'm joined today by a very special guest, my co-host Matt. Real life happens. Taking a little sabbatical. It's all right because in his place, I've got one of my tried and true pallies for years now. He's appeared on my channel. We've appeared on his Twitch all over the place together. So no one else I'd rather have in the booth here to fill in the shoes of the Iron Man Matt himself. But before I introduce him, go and follow Matt on Twitter at BruiserMate. Check out our merch store, unionsmack.bigcartel.com. Pick up either one of Matt's books, NXT UK Year One or Undertaker, A Trip Down Death Valley, forward by yours truly. Get a shirt while you're at it too. Why the fuck not? And me on Twitter at Huss Hogan. Check us out here, Spotify, Stitcher, Audible, Anchor, anywhere. They air podcasts. Bet your sweet, pretty little ass, we're there. My co-host today, though, for the doldrums of the Attitude Era, riding shotgun through hell with me in a turd-filled cave, my man on Twitter, at Broken Optics, the man behind the plan on the, all the art on my my YouTube channel, Hibiki TMD, for also Impact Wrestling star Chris Bay, have a new shirt coming out, working on his demo album coming out, tremendous shit. My man, thank you for filling in here in the captain's chair. I'm sorry for the content we're reviewing. Nonetheless, how you been? How's it going? Where can everyone catch you if there's any other plugs you want to throw out there? Uh, I don't really have any other plugs right now because uh, everything else is kind of uh, taking, a, taking a bit of a break. I've been taking a break for a while now because I've been working on things behind the scenes. But uh, you can find me at, uh, at Broken Optics on Twitter. And uh, that's where I usually post stuff. You know, like I got that and I have my link tree in there. So whatever else you want to find, you want to find Instagram, any of the other stuff, it's in there. Um, pretty much you're all set. <laughs> it's good we're go. doing this. This is the second time we're doing this. Yes, I'm breaking kayfabe. <laughs> <laughs> Pull the curtain back. Ma- Matthew would from Botchmania would have loved our first attempt. He would have loved it. <laughs> oh, oh, we, we, we were we were fighting this. <laughs> this show, like the spirit of James Brown came down and just kicked our dicks in the dirt the whole goddamn <laughs> time. <laughs> Mr. Please, please, please himself came down from the great, the, the, the great skies above and was just like, nah, man, this shit fucking sucks, dude. <laughs> he came down looking, peeking through the clouds like, I don't want to be affiliated. Yes, I am. What? Yeah. <laughs> Papa got a brand new bag. It's a man's world. Yeah. You know, doing that. <laughs> Did, can you know. say get on the good foot real quick like that? Get on the good foot. Thank you. <laughs> That's no, that's shockingly good. The thing I love um, about, about James Brown is my James Brown impression is based off of Eddie Murphy's James Brown impression. Yeah, so, the, exa- <laughs> the exaggerated, always pushing out a turd, yelling. Yeah, because because the the, the 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 impression that Eddie Murphy did was so good, where it was it was it was spot on, but it was one of those ones where he did he went with the whole. You can't understand anything James Brown says unless he's saying the name of a song. Yeah. And a lot of the things he says, and the thing is, he does that on this show. Where he just blurts yeah. out names of his songs. And that's he it. <laughs> it the, and guys, there's a reason we're talking about uh, Sweet James Brown here. He's not on the thumbnail, but... I, is it fair to say, before we even dive into this, is this the best part of this pay-per-view? For me, it was. That whole segment was amazing. And for all the wrong reasons, but I, I fucking loved it. Uh, yeah, I mean, th- that's the... James Brown, it's like... I know a lot of people have a lot of opinions about him, but it's one of those things where the man the man is a legend. 
just decades of music and and just a lot of stuff that he did was was so goddamn good and then having him slum it on this fucking wcw pay-per-view that that even the fucking workers on it didn't give a shit about and he just comes out and he comes out with like 50 people (laughs) and and it's just like you know what like like that that man is like at that time like it might have been the lean years, you know, but it was one of those things where he was still kind of royalty. Like, like he came out there and he treat he treated that the, the show with more respect than the actual people who were uh, doing commentary on the show. Oh, like, definitely. Yeah, he definitely. came out. And he's like, I'm doing the James Brown fucking thing. Like, this is the bit, you know. <laughs> Like that's what that's what I loved about it. It was just like like no compromise. It wasn't he didn't phone it in. He just so I want to get the good out of the way first before we get it before we go into the doldrums. It was one of those things he took he took it so serious. It's like this was a performance, and he was not gonna he was not gonna give you a half ass performance. You know, I I feel like it's fair to say too. And we're in February two thousand, guys. The death years, death year. Is this? For me, it has to be the last big water cooler moment for WCW to have James Earl. Because I remember this at the time that that you know they te- they cock teased it for a while, and he had never appeared for any wrestling company before. That was this was a big fucking deal, right? It was just there was no there was no harbinger to be attached to. It was just like James Brown, and that was it. There was nothing to like take people for the ride with it in the company. The company was still going to die because it was shit. I mean, at the time, he he sort of became, you know, what the uh, the '90s equivalent of a meme was, you know, like like this was this was past, you know, the the, the days of uh, um, living in America and, and a lot of, you know, like he he wasn't really putting out a lot of music at that point. Um, it was an older gentleman at that point, so it's a, he, there was a lot going on where it's like he wasn't he he, he wasn't like super present on the on the consciousness of, of the world at that at that point. It was you know, he's an older dude. And just living, living the life. I think he, I think he was doing. Uh, I think he was doing Vegas shows, you know, like around that time. Like he was doing a lot. He was doing a lot like the, like those little like nostalgia kind of shows. Like yeah. would be like, you know, it would bring a lot of old acts back and that kind of. And it was, it, it was one of those eras where it was just kind of like enjoying that that time where he, he was just kind of there. He was like the the elder statesman of, you know, of, of soul, just kind of there. You know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so you're talking like at a time when, like, you you know, yeah, people made fun of him, you know, because he had he had some DUIs and like some some issues or whatever. But it's like, you know, that's the thing. It's like the man, the man has a has this whole career and all this stuff, and people still respected him at that time. You know, they still respected him, and that was that was a cool thing to see because even even the crowd they woke up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, well, even the announcers. Yeah, they 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 knew that they were. I mean, it's too bad he didn't do a song, you know, because that would have actually been a a huge high point for the show. Because I would I would have been like, hey, you know what? Take take a break, you know. Do (laughs) you know? Do do you know? Papa's got a brand new bag. I don't know. Just do something, and and then just end the show there because nothing could follow him. Like not even Hulk Hogan could follow him. I feel like we could have at least gotten him to kick the maestro in the balls. That should be... I mean, the man's still dancing on one fucking leg at however old he was. He could have kicked the stro in the balls, I feel like, for a spot. Oh, yeah. I, I, 
they they had a missed opportunity with that. Like they could have had him do do a little more, but at the same time, it was it was just like it was good enough that they got him on the show. We'll get to the amazing man behind the Strogan later because he would go on to do one of the best Hogan impressions ever. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but that guy, Billy Travis, world travel jobber to the stars is tremendous. And it's a shame that he was not showcased more in this time, but we'll get back. This event, let's do it, kicks off shockingly as bad as business was. We were saying this on our attempt at part one at the fucking Cow Palace in San Francisco, packed to the goddamn rafters. And that has to 100% have nothing to do with any of this card, any of the Nitros or Thunders. That just speaks to the popularity of the general business as a whole at the time. WWF was, this was their prime time fucking, this was let's fucking go, right? They were all-time highs at this. Even ECW, as bad as business was behind the scenes, they were selling out fucking 6,000-seat arenas for pay-per-views. Everything, all, people were just digging all wrestling. You know what I mean? And that's... It's just crazy. You go back and what we know now, what became a WCW and how worse this year would be for this company with the booking. They were to still put asses in the seats like this by the end of it. Not so much. Um, another thing about WCW cards at this time in the Attitude Era, they're so stacked. They're like two fucking miles long. They are. I mean, I, I bash at the beach 2000 a couple months later is even longer than this with more gimmick matches, believe it or not. Vince Russo is the most ADHD fucking booker I have ever possibly seen in my life. And it's not bad enough that we have like 27 fucking matches and 15,000 storylines to keep up with. We're going to run down the entire card at the very beginning of this pay-per-view. Nothing to get you fucking hyped up or nothing. It's just three somber, borderline over-the-hill announcers trudging through this half-assed, mid-level bullshit card. And there's no like fire. There's no passion in their voice. They're, they're not. They're like you said earlier. Nobody tries on the show, and it is very evident when you go back. Yeah, the the second you have Mark Badden out there, just kind of rattling on, it it like the 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 man, the the man is a walking death spot. Like he's just like you have him on commentary. You're like he brings everyone else down to his level. Like there's no, they don't raise him up. They bring, they, he brings everyone down and everyone kind of got that somber. Like, all right, like we got, we got Prince IK on the card. And, uh, we can do it. It's like, you're doing that. And it's it, like, how are you getting people hype? Like you're supposed to hype people up and you have this guy who's, you know, making everybody all droopy dog, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like like Mike Tanay. I know I know there's people that, that love Mike Tanay, and then there's people that don't like Mike Tanay. But the guy is was an absolute professional, and when I didn't mind him on on, on a lot of shows because like he was a guy who who was appropriately hyped for a lot of things. Mark Madden made that man wish he wasn't there. Like it, you he just he sounded like he didn't want to be there. <laughs> I feel like you can you can tell too at the shitty and by the way and I'm not exaggerating guys every comedic line that Madden attempts I feel like he fails and falls on his ass on this show nothing hits nothing connects but it's like it was it me or could you feel like Tanae seething at at about halfway through the show with Madden at this point you could just feel the tenseness and that's another thing too I mean you say Mark Madden was the guy that brought everyone down 
I love him. He's a lovable guy. I think he's a good guy, but you could say that about Tony Schiavone on commentary this time, too. I feel like when he was on commentary, he made everyone else kind of feel sloppy and unprepared. Mm. You know? I don't know. This, let, let's get down to our, our opening match here. They, they had a Cruiserweight tournament after Oklahoma vacated the title, I guess. Finally, Kevin Sullivan and the guys backstage were like, look, brother, we need it on a fucking real wrestler. Enough gimmick shit. So he vacated it. A very underwhelming eight-man tournament. Came out of the tournament finals in this. I'm so sick of reviewing this match. This is their third time, but let's do it. They don't know that, but now they do. The artist, formerly known as Prince Ayakea versus Lash LaRue. Paisley in the corner of the artist going to be Charmel. Lash LaRue was a guy at 15, 14 years old I thought was going to break out. Just a case of wrong era. Had up in the early, mid-90s. Lash LaRue would have totally broke through more, but this was the kind of gimmick that would get you booed at this time. It's exactly why guys like Lance Storm were fucking heels and shit like that. Just these white meat baby faces from prior eras. It wasn't flying here. Um, I really thought that because Prince Ikea, let's talk about his gimmick first. Using the, the, (laughs) because he had Prince in his name, Vince Russo came in and said, listen, bro, you ever see purple rain? Let's give him the Prince gimmick, right? Gimmick right era for this gimmick especially with like gold but wrong guy total wrong guy this prince ikea was a decent little worker but never had any kind of captivating x-factor-ish charisma for me at all yeah he he, he was one of those dudes that really like i don't think any gimmick really kind of suited him he was it's like solid hand you know he, you know he gets he can get the job done but if you're talking about getting over, he was just a guy who just, no matter what he did, he could not get over with it. And then they saddled him with a, a gimmick where they're like, oh, it's Prince. Let's make, it. he goes both ways jokes and do vaguely gay connotations because he's a heel, right? You know, like, like trying to do a little bit of gold dust with him. And, and it was, it, it was not, it's not good. I mean, you're talking like something, if they did that kind of stuff now, like, the promotion would be canceled. It would be like, oh my god, look, look what they're doing, with the, like, doing this weird stereotype thing. But it's like, they were. it was just so, like, they could just make the joke that, oh, Prince goes both ways. And it, exactly. was, just for, it was just for that joke. And it wasn't funny. <laughs> it wasn't funny then, it's not funny now. It's just... Oh, we got we we have that joke. We're gonna say it like a bunch of times because anytime he appeared in that gimmick, they would just have they would have like Shivani just say it, and it's yeah. just like uh, and it's just like, you can tell even Shivani's heart wasn't it. He's just like oh yeah, it goes both ways, you know, and, and he just didn't care. It was like and, and and it was all because Vince Russo wanted wanted to make a a a, a joke, and it was not good, so. They were never getting this over, like no. especially especially this match. We're talking like a, you're opening up with a cruiserweight match, and cruiserweight matches, there are they are like the perfect warm up match, you know. Like WCW had the, had the monopoly on that um, for for years, where they would have you know your Eddie Guerrero's and your Rey Mysterio's and your Juventud Guerrero, and, you know, like all these people that would that were so goddamn good, you know Jerry Lynn. You know, coming out there, do and it would just do these really awesome, you know, displays to really get people hyped for the show, and people would be really super into it. And here's here's your 2000s version of that, and it's two guys who they're all right, 
But bad characters, nothing is over, and no one cares. <laughs> you know? And I hate that. I hate that about that because it was so. It was such a, a good thing they had, and they totally squandered it. I mean, I they, just. I just reviewed an Adrian Adonis match before this earlier today, and I feel like when you're when you're saddled with the ambiguous or like androgynous, as Vince loved to say, kind of blur the lines type character like this, you have to be one hundred percent in and in that you have to embrace this character like it's like I don't even like it. I don't know. You just have to do it, and you can tell this guy did it. He, I, I can tell tell by the end of this match the look on his face. He didn't like portraying this. This. Especially at the, uh, I don't know if you picked this up either. It's a horrible sign of the times, but a certain slur that was used in this match that happened all the time back then. I mm. saw as soon as that happened in this match, it shook him up. He did not like that. And if all this wasn't mediocre enough, guys, top that off on this shitty cake with a horrible mistimed spot where Paisley, Charmel, Queen Charmel, yes, her, go back, was the manager of the artist missed her cue by at least no exaggeration three to four minutes her cue was supposed to be when lash larue picked up the artist in the corner for a hurricane run off the top she'd hold the artist right so larue would you know he wouldn't go with him well that's fine if you're four minutes later doing it and what's even more infuriating and just shows nobody cares is charles robinson the referee one of the better referees in the past 20 to 30 years in my opinion standing right beside her this whole time not even an attempt to tell her to you know it's not your cue yet get the fuck down the guys could have grabbed a headlock and the guy getting the headlock could why you can't see his face covered say get the fuck down no it's just we got guaranteed money fuck it that's how i see it and that's the no, way not it even was. a wave of the hand at nothing just let, no. just let her just let her stand there like an asshole for for four minutes to the point where these announcers who are usually out to lunch, you could care less, they started noticing how infuriating this was to watch, and even they were starting to break kayfabe a little bit, like, get the fuck down. But uh, that was the finish. It was short and fucking underwhelming as it was. Uh, not bump, a good that match. Bump. That bump Lash LaRue took off, off of that, uh, that her Karata spot. Yeah, it, 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 was, it was real. Like, it was like, there was a lot of scary bumps on this show where it was like you 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 don't think much of it until, until you really look at it again and you're like oh this guy almost necked himself yeah it, it, you know like, they they were doing things in a way where it was it was pretty dangerous and it was very lucky that a lot of people didn't come out you know severely injured from this show yeah you know, like just just the way the way he went down and and, and led it was like a, 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 an inch over you would have talked you would have been talking about a paraplegic i'm immediately thinking of that big owl spot to the outside and i when i watched when tank you know what i'm talking about tank abbott tried to carry him up i gasped when i watched that because i'd forgotten that match we'll get to there in a little bit but uh the artist is your winner new cruiserweight champion nobody gave a shit and uh, I, this title would never see prominence again. I think when they they tried to start kind of getting back to what we were talking about earlier, by the end of the run of the company, they put it on Sugar Shane Helms, and he was getting a little decent little run, but it was the bloom was way off. The, 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 the rose had wilted and died at that point with every division in this company. I mean, a um, big a big thing to bring up was that like this was a time when um, like was Ultimate Dragon still there, or, do, or was he already gone? If he wasn't already gone, he was one of like those international talents that because they had like three hundred guys signed, but would only fly in like you know sixty a week. I think he was one of those guys. So I remember Ultimate Dragon got really badly hurt, and like he he kind of stopped wrestling for a lot of years. Um, yeah. I'm really I'm really glad to see him back though. Um, that's a totally side note, 
but the, the like uh, you had you had Rey Mysterio, you know, still there. You know, I mean, sure, it was filthy animals, Rey Mysterio, which you know people want to forget now. They want to forget that 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 you know he had that mask off and had those dumb horns stuck on his head. <laughs> like that. Look, looking I, like the fucking the drummer from No Doubt with the stupid horns. <laughs> I mean, he, the thing was, he, like, he, he has such a baby face, and he's sitting there being a bad guy. I'm like, why is it? Why wasn't he in this match? Like, what, what was it? Like, I don't know if he was injured at the time, or like, wasn't he in the tournament? See, I, I didn't. I, I didn't bother looking back that far. So, <laughs> I know I'm gonna he get wasn't, wrong. He wasn't. So that that was a the bracket was nothing to write home. I mean, you're talking about first round matches were like three count against three count. Fucking Kaz Hayashi. It was shit like that. Yeah, it was oh. the only prominent guy they had. They showed on the highlights was Psychosis, who was actually advancing. But they even explained on commentary he was replaced in the tournament because, like, because like transportation issues, getting into the country or something. So maybe it would have yeah. been Psychosis. Who knows? That Nonetheless, that I would have been a lot better. <laughs> I, I I couldn't recommend this match to anyone, and I don't think you could either. I think that's fair to say. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and that tune's not going to change very much, guys. Trust us throughout this entire pay-per-view. Up next, you know, simultaneously, the best and the worst parts of the Attitude Era were hardcore title matches for me. Some of my most, like, the Fun Town USA with Crash Holly was amazing. I don't give a shit. It was, it's hilarious. I love it. This was the, I mean, you go beyond the bottom of the barrel and something, and you're scraping out soil from underground. And that's where this was. A guy that hasn't been in shape since like 89 and Brian Knobs, who thinks he's a Dudley boy now against a guy. Jesus Christ. It's really hard to watch Bam Bam Bigelow at this time. His tights say it all. Uh, he just, he was never like, you know, I have a great tan, but he looked like he hadn't been outside in like three months. He just looked awful here. And unfortunately, a couple years later, he would pass away. I don't know if that's a very cryptic sign here, but. Terrible. And the whole build on this, if this wasn't bad enough as your match, let's make a convoluted, confusing fucking build. Where Brian Knobs at the time, his mentor was Fit Finley, both dressing like the Dudleys. Fit Finley apparently turned on Brian Knobs in a match or something after Lex Luger broke his fucking arm. I don't, everything is keyword, guys, at this time in the company, convoluted. We go through six referees in the main event, but I digress. Yeah, the, the thing with the Finley thing was it didn't make any sense because it's like, okay, he turned on Nobs prior to this event, right? Turned on him, and then in this event, Finley's trying to help him, and, and, and he's going like, like, oh, I want to do this on my own. I want to do this on my own, and then proceeds to not do it on his own. <laughs> after cutting such a loud fucking promo before this match jesus christ brian knobs the the, the uh, human the human skin tag known as brian knobs <laughs> like 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 the, the like i don't know man uh, like okay the nasty boys the you know the like uh, jerry jerry sags like that was the talent guy like he was the guy who actually like you know did stuff Knobs was just the guy who fell on things, you know. Like, yeah. like I, I never saw Knobs as being any good at all. And I mean, yeah, he managed to have a good career, you know, thanks to being friends with Hulk Hogan. But my God, the man, the man was horrible. And and, and it, it was it was like like I would have rather watched Jerry Sags go out there and do that match. Like like him and him and him and Finley probably would have been fun because that guy could actually cut a promo. 
<laughs> I think Dobbs was my preferred Nasty Boy too, because yeah, he did the yelling, you know, the '80s style yelling, spitting promos, but not as like I need to get the. It, it just came off more when Nobbs cut a promo. Is like I don't believe in myself, and I need to yell louder to get this over. You know what I'm saying? And at least Sherry Sags had that nice elbow drop as a finisher off the top. Sags could execute a couple of moves, and 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 he did them well, and and he and he permanently sold that character. Whereas his partner was a skin tag on him. Just he was just there. He was just the blonde guy who, as I said, fell on stuff. And I get it, you know, I get the gimmick, but I was never a big, it was kind of, it, it kind of ranks up there with the Bushwhackers with me. Like, I was not a Bushwhackers fan growing up. And and the Nasty Boys were kind of in that realm of that because it, it was a gimmick that never really evolved. And then this is the point where they tried to evolve it a little bit, having knobs, you know, separate um, and doing a Dudley Boys thing. But it's it's it never it never resonated with me in any way, like doing that that eighties uh, punk bad guy thing, you know that they did in like you know, like a, a bad RoboCop knockoff movie. Like that's what their gimmick was. It was yeah. we're yeah we're just the you know like the punk guys that get beat up by the hero in the dumb action movie, and it doesn't work for me personally. And it, and Nobs is like the epitome of that. I know I'm really harsh on him, but everything about him is go away with me. And, and, like, and, 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 and it's like an Ed Leslie deal, too. It's like that. Plus, when you find out that he's a coattail rider of Terry, it makes it even worse to not stand the guy, you know? I can tolerate Ed Leslie to a point. Yeah, like there, there are some gimmicks where I'm like, you know what? All right, fine. You know, let, let, let it go. I mean, he had 19 of them, so of course a couple of them would be all right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, like I, I like the barbershop segments; those are fun, uh, you know. Like, but like, once he became like the the man with no face and and and, and uh, fur face or whatever, like the, like the random dumb shit he did in WCW, like uh, the disciple, you know, when he's doing that yeah. stuff, I was kind of like, all right, at least he made it a point to look different. Whereas knobs just always looked like knobs. No matter like what this, you did, it, knobs was always knobs. He had the same mullet. <laughs> for, he still has the same mullet. Well, he tried. To, he tried to update it for this with like the flat top, like like Finley had. But it, you, I still saw a mullet. It, it just my head sees a mullet when I look at him. No matter what. Yeah, his yeah. Hair. Uh, no, no matter what, it's always it's always his nineteen ninety three. You know, sweaty, sweaty mullet. <laughs> like, like I don't. Get, it's like no matter what he does, it's like yeah, he can crop it short, he can do whatever. It's it's always the mullet. It's forever the mullet. Thank fucking god, this match only went four minutes and forty four seconds. The highlight of this match for me is always an underrated finisher. Bam Bam Bigelow hit the greetings from Asbury Park. I always fucking love that move because it just looks so damn good and like it. It should make sense as a finish. I'm just gonna drop you right on your fucking head, basically. Yeah, now I, I love Bam Bam. Uh, I mean, even even Bam Bam when he didn't give a shit was still Bam Bam, and that's that's at least you know that's like we're talking like this is at a point where he's he, like he was checked out. He was he was he was not into this. You can tell, but he was still doing it, and it was solid what he did. 
Um, it, it wasn't as over as it could have been. But, you, but you're talking, you know, like, this is this is Bam Bam, you know, years after, you know, like, uh, his, his push as a main event at WrestleMania against Lawrence Taylor. Like, this is years after the fact. You know, at that time, you know, you're talking, like, he, he, he probably would have, probably should have retired maybe a year earlier. That's yeah, I think right right after the Jersey Triad stuff wrapped up, that should have been it, you know. And you yeah, know like what? I'll, I'll take I'll take Jersey Triad Bam Bam over Brian Knobs in his prime any fucking day. That's fine. <laughs> oh, oh, absolutely. Like, like Bam Bam was one of those guys who just kind of deserved the rest at that point. And and yeah, I mean, he, he earned it. He earned it. Yeah, I mean, the guy did a lot in the business. I mean, you're talking he like he was like the first like okay other than like uh your your um jerry lawler uh versus um fuck uh, now the name is uh andy calvin yeah right he was the the first real big profile like on uh on a national stage you know celebrity match against lawrence Taylor. like he was like the first to really do that the first for them since like rock and wrestling because you know their popularity had really dwindled till 95 and he was the first to really bring it back like that yeah yeah oh i mean even the rock and wrestling thing you didn't have a lot of uh, like rock people actually being in the match as a participant like, it, like even even when uh, like cindy lopper was involved she was a side person to wendy richter yeah i mean yeah. you got t for better or worse and usually it was worse with mr t in the ring <laughs> Uh, you know, at some point I, I need to come back and we need to cover that, uh, that WCW thing where they brought in Mr. T where he wore the, his pajamas? Uh, uh, in his fucking the, pajamas and the sleeping hat is a referee where, where, he, where he got stuck in his shirt. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've never seen such a underwhelming run like Mr. T have, have all these exclusive like figure sets and shit get released for it. People celebrate this shit, but they they obviously haven't watched because that's Piper's least favorite match ever. Is that boxing match? He hates Mr. T. Hated Mr. T. Um, Brian, let's get back on track here. We're talk <laughs> about Mr. T for another hour. Brian Knobs gets the win um, with the help of fucking Finley, which doesn't make any sense. Speaking of makes no sense. When Vince Russo first came in to WCW in the fall of '99, that first pay-per-view, WCW Mayhem, you know the, you know Bret Hart winning in Canada, it seemed like love or hate Vince Russo, he was trying to take that fucking undercard of WCW, which was usually just thrown in fucking nonsense, no story matches, and trying to give everybody something. And I gotta think, for me, his best pet project that he got over was a man that we both adore. Screaming Norman motherfucking Smiley. What was it about this man that even as a teenager, I people loved him. His this was the, what some of the best reactions on this whole show was this silly British man and football pads scared of his own shadow. That's that's the beauty of what made it work. You know, the ironic gimmick done right. Yeah, like it was one of those things that like you can't even really pull it off now. It's it's one of those things where at the time. It was very confusing because it was like you saw you saw all the wrestlers they all had their you know, their gimmicks and it, it was all very you know cut and dry you know like standard your baby faces your heels and then you had the NWO which was just a, a giant mess uh, and, and you had all this stuff 
And then you had Norman Smiley out there who was so different and so good. Like, he sold the shit out of everything. I loved everything about Norman. It was one of those things where, like, his feud with Terry Funk. I'm going to go on a little side tag. A little, little small one. When he had that little feud with, with Terry Funk. And this was, like, you know, Terry Funk when, you know, when he, you know, he's going after Candido. And, and he's going. And, and, and then they're like, oh, what are we going to match him up with at this point? Oh, we're going to give him. Norman Smiley, and, and we're gonna have Norman Smiley be, be like, "I'm all hardcore." Put on the hockey pads, the baseball pads, the football pad. Yeah, whatever. Depending, it depended on what state they were in. Like, if they had a good baseball team, he'd wear baseball stuff. If he if he was in, you know, like a a, a hockey town, he would be wearing hockey stuff. And, and and that was a cool thing. But but him, just the vision of him hanging off of a pipe, trying to avoid. Terry Funk looking for him. You know, it, it was one of those things that sticks out of my mind as one of the greatest, like, like hilarious moments in, in wrestling for me is just or having him. Meng, Meng too. The Meng, the Meng stuff is classic. <laughs> the Meng stuff. <laughs> oh, man. So, so you had, like, with this match, it was that on display. Sure, it wasn't as 100% as as say you know like with, with the terry funk or the meng stuff but it was still it still had that level of of perfect comedic timing with norman smiley i i i i absolutely adore that man <laughs> you, know? you, com you combine it's one of those beautiful things where you combine that that comedic timing with a hell of a fucking wrestler and he came from that billy robinson wigan school obviously he'd go on to be a trainer i don't know if is he still a trainer at the pc i think i think he's still a trainer for uh, for nxt yeah i think that's what made it work too he knew how to you know take certain spots he just he just knew the business you know he's like he's like a william regal you know but there is one thing one thing about norman smiley that 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 sometimes put me off he was what no, he no no no. The, oh no, I love the way it was great. It's the thing that that some wrestlers do. You have it with you know, like uh, you know, the likes of Minoru Suzuki and uh, a number of other guys where they have the short boots. You know, yeah. where, they, where they have the short boots and the, and the little uh, the, the the little jocks. It, somehow that feels more naked. <laughs> you know. Than, than than a dude you know just like like whipping his cock out like it was it was what like that's the one thing where I go eh. and, and and a lot of a lot of times his gear was was simply that it was just those little tiny jocks with the little with the little shoes I mean Minoru Suzuki does that like if he put on a, if he put on like a, a little hat uh, you are staring at a naked dude essentially <laughs> you, know? Well, you know the no knee pads didn't help either yeah because it's it's just that. Well, I mean, Ahmed Johnson had, you know, stole all those knee pads. So, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah. there was no more knee pads for anyone else. And elbow pads. <laughs> he stole the elbow pads, too, for his thighs. Um, oh, God. Let's go on the other end of this match. There's a special attraction handicap match against your favorite fucking thing from this era. Three count. And you know what? I get okay, it, guys. Get you out of my heart. <laughs> I... I, I I get it how people can look back on this and be like, man, they, these guys are so talented. They saddle them with this. These guys are brand new in the business. Like they'd only really wrestled in like Omega, not courageous. The other two came from Omega brand new to national television. 
if, if you guys didn't live in this time, you go back. A boy band was perfect heel heat. There's nothing I despised more than in the year 2000 than a boy band. It's just that the shit that they were given to do, <laughs> like most cases at this time, was shit. The Tank Abbott stuff was funny, but everything runs its course, and that got old fast. Yeah. I don't even remember, really remember the fucking build as to why this was a fucking match. I was just so tickled pink that this was even happening. As far as the match went itself, they did some creative little spots, but everybody, again, seemed like a step off. Did you get that? Yeah. It, it, was, it was definitely like... So, I don't know. I don't know what it was. It was just a vibe with that with that match where it, it it was like you still you had you had the perfect comedic timing norman smiley yeah i mean shane helms is on point um shannon moore was shannon moore <laughs> yeah. you know and it's it, it's but it, somehow it was just it was it was just a step off where it, it it didn't it didn't totally gel. I mean, it might have been a clash of styles because you're, you're talking, you know, three count. They they as you said were new to the business. They came from Omega. You know, a, a lot of their stuff is is very spot based. You know, a lot of lot a lot of lot of jumping, a lot of flipping. You know, a lot a lot of that kind of stuff. And Norman Smiley is not that guy. He's a little more old school. He can meet you there like halfway, I feel like. That kind yeah, of stuff. but the thing is, you have to come halfway too. Exactly. Yeah. And, they, and they, just, they, they didn't have they a didn't season. Yeah, they just didn't, they didn't totally get there. And it's fine. I mean, it was, it was, it was like, I wouldn't say it was a good match, but I would say it was serviceable. Out of, out of everything in this entire show, this one was serviceable enough to where I go, you know what? All right. I'm not mad at it. Yeah, I, I, think, I think. I mean, I think it's more because you know some of my favorite people are in the match. That kind of helped. You know, right. like Shane, Shane Helms is an absolute favorite of mine, um, and Norman Smiley again is an absolute treasure. So I, I'm, I'm, I, I can't be mad at it too much. But I, love I feel like this match was also constructed completely backwards. I feel like when you got a handicap match like this. You do your hope spots for the guy that's outnumbered later in the match, and they did all the hope spots that he might have a chance at the beginning, and the rest of the match just felt like, yeah, the rest just felt like a fucking squash by the end of it. So I would have totally flipped that structure. Maybe that would have got the crowd a little more invested, like he has a chance. But that we've seen way worse, and we will see way worse. Um, the next match coming up, I actually totally, completely did not get to see. Because I had an incident with my dog when it was on, and I there's no way in hell I was rewinding for this match. It only went three minutes. The Kiss fucking Demon versus the Wall, Jerry Toot, whatever the fuck his name was. The Did you special catch that? main event. Yeah, what is a special main event? Fourth from the fucking bottom of the card. What is that? <laughs> oh, oh, oh! There's there is a there's a story to this one. Part of the deal that Eric Bischoff made with uh, with Kiss to use, you know, like the Kiss Demon, you know, thing as a gimmick, was that, uh, which once again, Norman Smiley did an awesome thing with that Kiss Demon gimmick. Yeah, <laughs> that that was funny. But that's a total side thing. But what he what he did was when he made the deal, part of it was they would give him you know X amount of money for the for the for the the, the usage of the gimmick, but then they had to in the contract give him a main event 
And, uh, <laughs> so and, they just said. So they just said main event on the fourth match. That's great. Uh, yes. They, so so when they did this, they were like, "There's no way in hell we're going to close a show with this." So we'll just call it a special main event uh, uh, attraction. And that is what got them to fill the, uh, the, the contract with that. I mean, God, God bless Dale Torborg. The man really wanted to make that Kiss Demon work. He really wanted. He, like, like he, he tried a lot. With that, that's that's where the Norman Smiley stuff came in, and where a lot of the, a lot, of, he there was a thing where he really wanted that to be like a thing, and God bless him, he's still doing it now. Like he's coming out on Impact now, you know, main eventing, was, main eventing. He's, hey, he's got his wish. All these years later, yeah, uh, I'm like, you, you know, like that, like that should be a lesson. Just like, yeah, you might not be the best wrestler, you might not be, you know. The, the best worker in the world, you know, you, you might not, you know, be able to, you know, get over to the level that you think you should, you know, just sticking to it. Eventually, you know, you may have your dreams realized. And, and, and Dale Torborg is a lesson for everyone that even when you have a crappy gimmick, you try to make that thing work and you try to get it over. Whether it does or not, that, that that's, that's besides the point. But if you believe in it enough, you could do something. <laughs> yeah. Believe in yourself and do something. That, that's the lesson. So, so the, the reason I missed the match is because my dog had to poop, guys. I had to take her outside. I'm on, like, the third floor. I did actually catch the entrance part of this for the demon where he came out of that spinal tap type. You know what I'm talking about? It's, oh, yeah. not, for it's not for fucking lack of trying. Like, I feel like as far as presentation, music, build, they tried. And you know what? It looked pretty fucking cool. I'm not even going to lie. It looked fucking cool. It's just it, the fans weren't biting. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know what it was. Well you, ha well, you have to remember at this point in time, uh, Kiss was on like their fifth retirement tour. It, you know, they, it was one of those things where like Kiss was a very, they were very old news. Like you had your diehard Kiss fans, but you're talking yeah. like you know, modern pop culture looked at Kiss as like, oh, it's just that 70s thing. Or, oh, it's just that, that weird hair metal thing. Yeah, uh, my, from, dad, from, my dad likes them. But nothing makes yeah. something uncooler than when Tony Schiavone on commentary is saying it's cool. And he loved Kiss. <laughs> yeah. So you had, you had like, like, I mean, Sure, Kiss was getting a little more, uh, you know, culturally out there. By uh, for one, it was uh, the retirement tour where they got uh, the original members back uh, that left the band originally, like the, the original '70s lineup. When they got them back for for a time uh, and put the makeup back on, that was a big deal. Um, it's like but it was a, Psycho but it was, Circus, or yeah, the, the Psycho Circus thing, yeah. You know, like they they did you know a whole lot, they were doing a lot of tours around it because I remember um, in in early two thousand I I was working at for for the state parks and one of those retirement tours came through uh, you know, with the kids and the thing is they were still over with with a lot of people it's just that the people that it was over with were not your demographic that were watching wrestling right and, exactly. And, so, so you had a lot of people because it was a lot of older people and a lot of people and you had people that were kind of go, they were kind of into it as like, oh, it's this kitschy retro thing of, of this goofy, you know, kabuki, uh, rock band thing. 
And I mean, I was never really a Kiss fan myself, but I understood the impact of Kiss back then because when I was a kid, Kiss was huge. Yeah. And 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 I mean, this was after they did that disco albums when I was a kid. Uh, that, that shows how old I am. Those I mean, like, well, let's let's not forget the Elder, the four part masterpiece. Yeah, like you, you're talking like like that. That was the period of time you know I came up. And and they they were they were huge. They were selling millions of copies of records, all that kind of stuff. And at this point, you had like um, your Psycho Circus thing, where they were trying to tie it into '90s comics. But it was during the time when the '90s comics boom was already kind of falling apart. Yeah. You know, so it was like they were jumping in on businesses and 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 opportunities to get as much merch out there as possible. And they saw wrestling as another another thing. And you know. The second, you know, WWF had um, any any interest, that's when Eric Bischoff immediately jumped in. Was like, "We will pay you stupid amounts of money, and we'll pay you all this stuff." It's because he came up at the time when Kiss was huge. Kiss was not yeah. huge at this point anymore. You know, they were a nostalgia act. <laughs> yeah. And, now, and, they, yeah. Now, have you tried this with at this time? Let's say they brought Metallica in. And there was like a Metallica rest of that probably would have worked. For if a it was bit. Metallica at that time, uh, you're talking. Oh God, that was that was that was in the the, the pre Saint Saint Anger. Yeah, was like well, uh, like load reload. You know, people were not very happy with Metallica at that point. But if you're I talking know, like if it was Metallica in 1991, then oh then, then it, it would have cracked the world in half. I feel like had had lick it up and any of that bullshit never happened and kiss never split up and all was hunky dory in the eighties. You do this in the eighties, you're looking at your top heel against Hulk Hogan in a couple arenas across country. Totally, oh, absolutely. absolutely. Like if, if we're talking like if you did the kiss demon in 1984, oh my god, you you, you would have gotten so much press. It, it's another one of those things where like the, the world would be a lot different if, if you did that, like. Because that's how, like wrestling was super huge then, yeah. and then if you had Kiss combined with that, it would have been an absolute like he would barely have to work. Like we're talking yeah. like he could he could basically do the giant Gonzalez work rate and 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 you know, just do oh I'm just gonna push you down kind of moves, and it would have been it would have been gangbusters. He would have just you know massive massive amounts of money. And, you know, Dale, 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 Tor Dale Torborg was probably like 13 and 84. So, you know what? Put Greg Valentine in the demon makeup. There you go. Yeah, you know, it, it wouldn't matter. It was just the fact that you have a guy in the demon makeup. Exactly. It, it would not matter. You could put Tito Santana in that. It would not matter. It, it would be huge. And it, it would have been big so And when that shit run its course with Hogan, and, you know, let's say that Gene and Paul and Ace are like, you know, we're tired of people booing a kiss character. You want to turn them babyface? fucking easy feud him with the honky-tonk man battle with the music there you go that's how you do it let's go to the other side the wall jerry toot i for me this is a combination you take mike awesome mr hughes and like big bubba rogers and 911. you throw them all in a blender and that's what you got i don't know if i hated it or liked it but i did hate the booking i do know that as far as the, i I don't. I don't hate the big destroyers like nine one ones. There's just not a lot of substance to that, and it can only get you so far. And this was another case of that. The only time I I ever paid attention to the wall, I don't know. There's just something about it that just was so no response from me. 
was the only time I got kind of a little bit of a laugh when they turned Alex right heel and made him Berlin. Yeah. So it was it was Berlin and the Wall. And if people don't know, <laughs> that's why he was called the Wall in the first. Because if you have no context to that, like my wife would peek into this in the living room. She'd be like, "Why is he called that?" I'm like, "I don't ask me that," because that's a whole can of worms. Yeah. I, I, I thought it was just because he was just a big slab of meat that didn't really move much. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> that was the thing. He didn't really move that much. He was not a he was not a, a very quick guy. He was he he was a wall. You ran into the wall. You did moves at the wall. <laughs> you know? Like that's why like I, I don't have a lot to say about him and a lot to say about the Kiss Demon because the Kiss Demon thing is so compelling. Uh, yeah. like, like the story behind like not the actual run. The actual run of the Kiss Demon is mostly abysmal. You know, just uh, like the guy was not afforded any real any real breaks, and and they just did stuff just because it was contractually agreed upon. Past that, they did not care. They were just like, as long as we could, you know, sell this crap and sell a T-shirt or two, yeah, you know, who gives a shit? And that's they're, really how they treat it. Basically, they're basically just like we're honoring the contract. Move along, you know. Yeah, because it was like anytime Dale Dale Torborg, like like he he's talked about it before, where he would go to the office and he would talk about like, hey, uh, I have an idea of you know maybe we could do this. And they're just like, just shut up, do your pose, go out there, you know, do your job, and go home and leave us alone. You know, <laughs> like it was just we don't want to hear from you. And, and, wall, and it was sad. The wall, the wall gets the win here in three minutes thirty seven seconds. Like I said, I didn't see it, but you did. I'm assuming it was like. Couple meat hooks and a choke slam, and that was the match. It was it was so just just wham bam done, uh, quick. It, it was it was it was really it was definitely a squash. It was definitely a squash because they were more invested in the wall. As as much as the wall was was so not anything to me, they were really you could tell they were really invested in the wall being something. I don't know what, but they wanted him to be something a little more than what than where he was on the card, you know. Cause, I mean, they had a it had a few, you know, like staying a little bit. Had a, you know, like it was like they, they they tried with him, but with Dale, it was like okay, special main event, contractual agreement, boom, boom, done. You know, you're 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 over with, and shove you aside, and that's just straight up what they did. It was to, it was just to get it out of the way. It's the shitty side of the wrestling business sometimes. I yeah. feel like I feel like this card was honestly, I'm not even exaggerating. Half of R. D. Reynolds and Blade Braxton's website for years was just this pay per view. Yeah. Oh, definitely. <laughs> because because up next is a match that ended up being fucking hilarious. Um, Tank Abbott now. They, they, before the match here, they showed a clip, you know, of him pacing and getting ready backstage. And as soon as they showed him on like that Titan Tron, the people popped. The people were getting into Tank Abbott early on, right? He was, they were booking him legitimate. Then you cut to another guy doing the same kind of I'm getting ready. I have no fucking clue who this is. I'm like, at first, I'm like, is that Nathan Joe? No. Is that yeah, I was, Vito? I was, a, I was drawing a complete blank on that guy. But Tank Abbott at that time, we're talking like legit tough guy, like, that was the big thing around then that they were trying to do. Uh, you know, like WCW had Tank Abbott, who was a legit, you know, tough guy. Like, you know, he's he's done a lot of real fights, you know, a lot of lot of stuff. Um, you know, whereas over in, in WWF, you had uh, your Dan Severns 
and you know your your um your Ken Shamrocks. You know, you had like those. There was there was a thing where they saw UFC and they were like, "Hey, maybe like we could use those guys and do something really cool with them." And the thing is, they never get them past the mid card. They just never do. It's I think it's mostly a personality thing because these guys are legitimate fighters. They're absolutely you know like just wrecking machines, but you're asking them to be personalities, and it's not it's not really there. Cause it's like, look, my, my job is I beat people up. I'm not here to act and be a character. Uh, Steve Blackman, Steve motherfucking Blackman, shout out to wrestling bios. Um, the, the, the whole thing with him, it was, it was like, he had the stick thing, but past that, he didn't have a lot of personality, but you saw that guy in the ring. You knew that he was going to fuck somebody up. And that, and that was, that was a, a thing they really wanted in wrestling at that time. Um, as, as much as it panned out to not be as big as it, it, as it could have been. I mean, if you did it now, I mean, now they make a big deal. Like, you have Ronda Rousey come out there, or like when they had, um, you know, I mean, I remember, you know, they were trying to, it was like just all these, like, people from, like, UFC or Bellator and a lot, of, you get them in now, and it's like, you know, it's working a little bit better to some degree. But back then, you're talking the early day, the early dark days of, of UFC, where you know, it, it, I mean, it's just it was just like banned in most states, and it was it was a no, scary no thing real, for people. No real weight classes, no real rules, you know. Yeah, I mean, you're see, you're seeing people just get absolutely destroyed, and then and then you know, like I mean, my state banned them, you know, for for the longest time. Uh, I mean, I think the ban is still in effect. Uh, even though they kind of switched to being more of like an actual sport as opposed to let's just have like a, a kung fu guy face like some random guy we found at a bar down the street. Who? What? <laughs> what guy from the pub is Chemo going to destroy this week on pay per view? Basically, yeah, yeah, it, like like that 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 kind of stuff. But there was the, a legitimate tough guy thing that in that period of time uh, in the late nineties, early two thousands, where they were, they were really trying to get these guys from from that and trying to just transplant them into wrestling which is more um performance based like dan severn was was never good as a character dan severn was good as dan severn the guy who's gonna just wreck you like just the quiet guy who's gonna wreck you he, he was legit scared you know and, and tank abbott was another one of those guys and they tried to to inject personality into him like when they put him at three count and uh, I mean, even in this match, they, they they were trying some things, but they were it went a little too far. <laughs> I mean, a skins on a pole match, which is means leather jacket to any people that don't know. Against Big Al, the story was this guy had been kind of watching Tank in the crowd for weeks, and then one week on like Thunder attacked him, and it turns out he was like his riding buddy or some shit, or his boy from the MMA days. So let's just throw him in a fucking match. They, you know. That was a way to introduce a new character in 2000, guys. You think it's bad now and you get frustrated with AEW? Give me 20 episodes of Rampage on a loop over one hour of this show. I'll take it. Yeah, people, <laughs> people whine today like, oh, they didn't give us a video package to explain who, who this person from Japan is. And it's like, really? Like, I grew up when, when wrestling was literally just guy is there. Yep. <laughs> guy, guy just shows up. You know, guy does things. 
and and then there's no explanation like nails where the fuck did yeah. nails really come from it was just a promo and then and then he showed up if the story in wrestling is good enough and the matches are good enough it doesn't matter where they come from you don't have to know every origin story guys it's okay it's fucking wrestling it's a television hey, yeah you, you don't you don't need the deep lore uh, for for a lot, I mean, yeah, some people, you know, you you want to, uh, you know, celebrate yeah. their accomplishments. Like if you have an Okada, so if, you're, in, if you're bringing in, yeah, exactly. If you're bringing in a guy like a Styles, right, when he first came in, then all, even it was unprecedented with Vince there to make New Japan references on commentary, but they had to do that. They couldn't just be like assume that everybody knew who he was from TNA and shit. So sometimes I get it, you know, you have to, but sometimes you just don't. It doesn't need it. Yeah, you know, sometimes the the guy speaks for himself. This match, every, this match was every bit as bad as it sounds, guys, but there is a spot in this match, not the one that we talked about earlier, but there's a spot before this. <laughs> Big Al does this, like, hammer fist forearm blow, right? Where he's like, I don't even know, like a Donkey Kong punch, right to fucking Tank Abbott's forehead. And Tank Abbott sells it like he just got shot in the face, and he just sprawls out like a starfish, so exaggerated, I don't know if you remember what I'm talking about. It's so good. Oh, Such yeah. a funny fucking spot. Followed by, you know, somehow miraculously Tank Abbott recovers from that when he was dead two seconds ago. Tries to lift Big Al on his shoulders, fireman's carry, up the to climb the pole and grab the leather jacket. And what happens? Mm-hmm. I, think, I, think, I think you, you should. You should. You should. As he has another grown man <laughs> on his shoulders, he gets, he's, he's like fingertips away. He's right there. But he, I don't know if it's perspiration or just they're blown up. He just dumps Big Al accidentally to like a sack of shit to the outside. Like I said earlier, I gasped because for a second, he looked like he was going right on his fucking head. Thankfully, a, every, a bag of potatoes. It, awful. Thankfully, everybody's okay. I don't think I ever saw that on Botchamania. Uh, Tank Abbott, you know, then he just walks up and gets, because that was the finish, but they botched it. So it just Tank just walked up and grabbed the jacket. Who gives a fuck? But after the match is the urban legend. The knife at the first time ever at this point, a knife was pulled on someone on pay-per-view and they cut like they didn't know it was coming. Right. But they tried to sh- like cut away real fast and just show the crowd. They totally knew what they were trying to. They were no, going they for shock. To, uh, the thing was, I don't think everybody was informed because they tried to explain it away too. And, and like that, that was what the, the most bizarre thing about it was. It seemed very legit because I mean, you hear him on audibly, like "I'm gonna fucking kill you." Yeah, and, 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 you know, just knife to the throat, and then they cut away real quick. And it was one of those things where I'm like, I think that like this was a Russo thing, where they were like, "Hey, go out and do that." But didn't totally tell everybody. Like not everybody was it was was smartened up about it. Yeah. So so you know like the commentary go. Oh, he has a pair of scissors. I don't uh, I don't know what's going on. And they they, they all seemed like genuinely completely baffled by what was going on. The way it cut, it was so strange. But it was just I'm gonna fucking kill you. It's like oh oh shit. And I think it was one of those things where they were trying again. To like sell him as like you know, oh massive tough guy, um, and I think it went a little too far because he he wasn't he was fired pretty soon after. Like By it, the wasn't, end of the year, it wasn't very sure he was gone. yeah it wasn't very, yeah it wasn't very long until he was he was let go. 
I totally know what Russo is trying to do here. He's trying to recapture the lightning in the bottle of the Pillman angle with the gun, right? Yeah. WCW was so desperate at this time. You know, people don't know. Like, it, they were literally trying everything just to stay somewhat neck and neck because they were just getting blown out of the water. And, it, you know, angles like this just didn't matter because the stink on that company at this point was so smelly. It just nothing mattered. You could have you could have done anything, I feel like. Unless you were signing away Steve Austin or The Rock, they weren't ever coming back from where they were, you know? Yeah. I... I... I totally like it's one of those things where that's why I was thinking like this has got to be this has got to be a bit, but at the same time the way they sold it it was like it was almost kind of like like oh like, this might actually be a little bit of a shoot, but I think it's, it was just like hey go out there and do this thing after the match, you know we'll get some heat on it that kind of thing, and I, I guess it got the wrong kind of reaction because yeah Tank Abbott was not very long for the company after that, it was it was pretty much a, a done deal that. I think that's what really sealed the deal for him. I think they did the three count angle and then they did the amazing angle. Do you remember where he would terrorize Mark Madden at ringside and eventually beat the shit out of Mark Madden? And then that was it. I think it was like a, a mini Goldberg feud, which Tank obviously didn't win. And that, that was it. Yeah. Yeah. Like there, there was really, there was really nowhere you could really go with it. Uh, I, I know where we're going. We're, we're taking a trip, a detour, to Harlem, New York. That's right, the poster boy on this week's thumbnail, guys. It's time. Let's dig in. Let's get a big old piece. Big fucking T versus Booker. Just Booker. We get our real first vignette on the show, you know, kind of explaining the what led to this match. You know, Stevie Ray had turned on his brother after turning on him before already in the NWO. They reunited, turned on him again. I mean, who gives a fuck? We're only brothers. Let's turn on each other 50 times. And... Saying from that that Booker T could no longer use the name of Harlem Heat for trademarks. This match was to have the ownership of the Harlem Heat music and the name and all that shit. Somehow, Stevie Ray got ownership, not Booker T yet. So Booker T can't use his music. So if we're going to have a new Harlem Heat, let's take a look at all the hot prospects on the market in the year 2000. We had some. There's a lot of fucking guys that it, maybe they could have done a little better. I mean, Jesus Christ, call Ice Train back at this point. Ahmed Johnson was done in 98. He couldn't walk. Let's hire him two years later, two more years fatter, two more years out of shape. But what's shocking about this match wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Yes, Ahmed had the agility of a sofa. Yes, Ahmed sold like it was Megatron getting hit by Tommy Pickles from Rugrats. But something about this, I don't know if it was just a professionalism, a book, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. It was tolerable. Did you walk away with that feeling, or were you just like, Jesus Christ? To me, it was. It came off more as uh, Booker T moving to refrigerators. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, like there, there was no... There's no way around it. It was It was just... They, they, they were just slabs of meat and, and Booker had to had to work with it and he he did he did a good enough job to where it was like all right but at the same time just the ridiculousness of the whole match like it was okay it was through the ownership of the harlem heat but also the letter t that was that was the thing that really stuck out to me was he's fighting for the right to the letter t 
which which is ironic because you know at, you know i'll take all the royalties at this point because i claim 100 percent on the letter t they got a big ahmed's got to come to my doorstep if he wants it it's it's like no but anyone anyone with like half a brain could could figure out that you can't own a letter yeah, <laughs> yeah. What what did you think of the uh, for Booker's entrance here? They gave him like stock Leave It to Beaver music. Yeah, what, what was up with that? It was like okay, I get not giving him the Harlem Heat music and, and that kind of. I get that because it, it sold the whole gimmick of he he didn't have the rights to do it. I get that, but why that? Like like why that? Just that weird generic nineteen fifty ish goofy fucking music like i i it did not scream booker t to me i think that was the point right i think that the what they were trying to do was that stevie ray went to the sound guy and he was like yo play this with my brother to be like a prank the problem is they didn't explain that on commentary so if they would have taken two seconds to explain that's why then we're fine right he's being a shithead brother to him trying to embarrass him but no, but no it was just like oh here it is um to see Booker make his like normal entrance to that too was so weird, so fucking weird. Um, you see, but, I thought I, I thought like it was one of those things when when I first saw it. Because um, see, I didn't see it when it was originally like a thing. I saw like oh the you know, network version, you know, and I'm like oh did they just dub that in? Like what's going on? Because he's doing his normal entrance. What's going on here? But no, that was the show. <laughs> it was weird. The only, I think the only thing on the network they dubbed for this was for James Brown later on, he came down to like a real James Brown song, but obviously they put stock funk music in, but that was, I think everything else was pretty legit as far as music on this. Yeah. I mean, I understand James Brown won't pay, they don't want to pay anything. Uh, no. I mean, you know, they've licensing so will edit out the sound of like themes that are legally distinct they would have for uh, wcw reps, like like um after songs or like even flow or you know, like any of the any of those songs they would make those weird generic versions that would just be a little bit off so they get so they can't get sued wwe will change those and, and just be like hey you know what raven's getting his his stupid fucking sunday night heat theme yeah you we know, need a row and yep uh, yeah, because we, we don't want it to sound like Nirvana. Like, oh, can't have that. Um, you know, it's so it's it's that's why it came off very strange to me because it was just Booker T doing the same mannerisms and the whole thing, and it was like this. It's not even because like the way Booker did it was it was kind of to the music a bit. You know, like it was kind of he sort of had it time to the music. So when you have that different music there sounding as horrible as it is, and you have him come out there and do that, you're like. Oh, something's wrong. Something's really wrong. <laughs> and it turns did, out something was wrong. Up, we did also forget, forgot to mention, we've already gone an hour. My God, this pay-per-view's gotten way more of our time than it's deserved. I brought Clarence Mason was involved in this, totally. Um, I don't think he did that bad for this. It, it wasn't atrocious, as I thought it would be. Um, Booker T hits a missile drop kick, which was his finish at the time. Going to get the pin. It looks like he's going to get it. And then, uh, you know, Tony Khan must love this when he goes back. The lights go out. And we come back on. And I'm pretty sure this was a guy that was in the No Limit Soldiers stable a year before. I think his name was 4x4. Just the one of the biggest men you'll ever see, like, width-wise. Just, uh, 
interferes and costs Booker the match and losing the ownership. And as you said to me in, to, in DMs the other day, we have this match to thank for G.I. Bro coming back. Yeah, because that, that is where Booker went. A after that was, uh, they, they made him G.I. Bro until they decided not to do it anymore. Like It, it wasn't like he just stopped being G.I. Bro. It, it, it's just they did it, it happened, and then it stopped. <laughs> you talk, we, we talked earlier about a guy Dale Torborg who no matter what shit was good, he tried to make it work is the case right here same thing Booker T just kept plugging alright you want to make me GI bro because it was you know a lot of people don't know Booker's actual original gimmick when he got in the business fine you want to put me in the misfits in action fine he trudged through tunnel vision and he got himself a world title by the end of summer so there you go Billy Kidman against Vampiro on paper and, and from some of the highlights they showed on this to the build-up, I thought this match was going to fucking kick ass. I Let me tell you right now, my favorite guy in this company at the time was Vampiro. And you look in that crowd, and there's like a giant, you know, the giant banners where each fan's holding a sign, and it's a letter spelling out. There were like two Vampiro banners, signs out the ass for this guy. Now, obviously, we know backstage, he was kind of a dickhead. He had some issues, some demons, and all that shit. We kind of know why he never really broke through and went to the WWF. Billy Kidman, tremendous performer in his own right. I hate this gimmick of his at the time, the ladies' man shit. I, I don't know how he still got cheered, but he no, did. My, my, I'll tell you something. My wife is a, was a massive, massive Billy Kidman fan. Ladies love that guy. Back in the day, Jesus, yeah, you can hear it on here. Just women fainting and screaming. I look at him and I don't get it. Like I always hated the way he did, uh, the, you know, the, the the way he did the shooting star, where it was like weirdly sideways. Yeah, yeah, and like all it, it just, I didn't like him. I, I don't. I just I could not get into him. But like you know, when I met my wife, it was one of those weird things because like you know, like when I went to like you know her house for the first time, she had. You know, like a like WCW, like a, a big like comforter. It was a WCW comforter, like yeah. NWO shit on it. And I'm like, okay, this is weird. You know, because <laughs> you know, because it, it, it's weird seeing it. Like it was like, oh, this is like 20 years after the fact. She still held on to it. Um, right. And then it was just like, like oh, like I, you know, like I really loved Raven's flock, and 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 I'm like, really? Because <laughs> I was cause, literally, I was going to ask you that because. I had a couple of female friends that were fans in high school too at this time. And God, it's so weird. The two guys that they were always like, he's so sexy, Billy Kidman and fucking Raven. Women loved Raven in his prime. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. But the thing is, my wife was like, didn't give two shits about Raven. It was, it was one of those things like, Oh, Raven's flock was cool, but it was mostly because like, Oh, like Raven had this group. He was kind of a cool character. All right. But like, he was no Billy Kidman. And like it, it, she was all about that dude, and it was one of those. Yeah, he, he, he had the fucking he had the dope sick gimmick, dope sick gimmick in the flock. Yeah, it, you know, he had that whole thing, and I'm I'm like I'm like I'm like as long as long as you don't tell me that you were a fan of 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 Lodi or or, or, <laughs> or <laughs> you know or or, or, or like uh, what was it when uh, when, uh, when 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 Riggs had the eye patch? Yeah, just Riggs, just Riggs. Yeah, Riggs. Sick uh, boy, who was basically Riggs off Wish, was sick boy. <laughs> oh, God. You see, the only thing I have for sick boy is, uh, thanks to OSW, is because that guy completely just leaves my mind. If, if, if I think of the flock, I don't think of him. It, it just, he just kind of, 
uh, was whenever uh, OSW brings it up, they call him Raven's Bird. <laughs> <laughs> And, and and then and then they'll they'll um they'll bring up the way Dave Penzer would say uh, "sick boy." Yeah, it was because it, it was it was indicative of how Dave Penzer announced everybody, where it was always uh, a high sound, low sound. So it'd be like "sick boy," yeah. Raven, you know, and he, and he would do the Billy Kidman. What do what do you do it backwards like "sick boy"? No, it was always just high point, low point. Every person. So all you heard in every in every match it is thanks to OSW. It's it's etched into my brain. Is just like because that's literally how he delivered. Like everybody, like Hulk Hogan, you know, <laughs> yeah, Macho Man. Like he would just do that. You know what's it, funny about Penzer always tried so hard, but they always like muted his audio on the entrances so the announcers could talk all over him. So it was all for naught. I feel no, like no, you'd hear him in the background, like you'd hear because he would do yeah. it loud. Uh, and, yeah. and, so, so the, the announcers are going, and you just hear like three, Did you? Did you like Vampiro back in the day? Were you a big fan? You know, Vampiro was like he had a great look, and and and, and he, he like at that time he was a, he was a really good hand. He was one of those dudes, but they would do things that would kind of sabotage him to me. Like one that I always found really funny was my introduction to Vampiro because you got to remember I was not watching WCW a lot. Uh, back in the day, it's uh, like I watched, you know, back when they were doing the the cartoon shit where they're trying to capture '80s Hulkamania again, which did not work. Um, I saw I saw a bunch of that. I just kind of tuned out. Was the way he would come out? I remember it being the first time I really saw Vampiro in anything was the video game for N64, and and how they animated him. He did a thing where he would do this little squat, and he would do this thing where he would kind of point at the ground. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's that that weird thing, and then I found out that it was a real guy who actually did that, and it looked it always looked goofy to me. So it's like this guy comes out with it, like that that corpse paint that he had going was awesome. I love that corpse paint. The guy could work, but it was one of those things where he would come out and then he would do that little move. I would just laugh at it, and I'm like, I, I get it. He's being spooky guy. But that always made me laugh because I remember the N64 animation of it where they were just like, they did such a good job on it, but it looked really goofy with that model. And I keep thinking of that model doing that move. He did, <laughs> it, he, he did it on this show too, on his entrance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so when he would do it, I would, always, I would always laugh at that. And that's what took me out of it, like with, with the character. Because it's like, I get it. The character is supposed to be this like cool, spooky dude, you know, thing. And I'm like, that's such a cool gimmick. Like that's you know, like that's kind of it's like uh, like uh, Mexican style uh, wrestling version of Undertaker. Like it was so cool. But then he would do that, and I would laugh, and it would take me out of it. Um, and then of course there was that whole feud with Sting, with uh, where 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 Sting got covered in the red. That killed it. That killed then, Vampire. That that feud. When that they, that feud should have lifted him to the next level to the complete opposite. Yeah, it was one of those things where, like, 
he had everything there, and like it was a it was a time where like Vampiro could have been huge. Like he could have been he could have been really huge, and and uh, like I, he he had the talent, he had the presence, he had the character, but there were some things about it that were a little goofy. But you know, like once he actually got into the match, like you, you know, he it was it was all right. But then they would put him in situations where he, he didn't it didn't apply very well to him. You know, like this match being one, uh, the, the Sting feud being another, where they would just they would put him in a thing where, like, you'd think like, oh, like he's gonna get over, like he, you know, he like he's he's got this, he's got this in him. But then they would book it in such a weird way, or they would do something like like when they did that graveyard match, where you could barely see anything. Yeah, and it was just them stumbling around, like they weren't really doing anything; they were just stumbling around. And you could barely see them. And, and even, the, even the goddamn finish of this match, there was no sub shooting star press anywhere in this match. Vampiro lost clean because he was distracted by Tori Wilson, and it was like a uh, reversal pin off the top or something, like a crucifix bomb reversal. That was it. It came out of nowhere. And, and this feud was supposed to be like uh, WCW's new version of Benoit and Booker T, their bestest, their legendary series a couple years before this. They tried to recapture that here. I guess it could have worked, but it, again, the booking, it comes down to the fucking booking. And I totally agree with you. People were ready to take the ride with Vampiro. I mean, just look at this crowd. Like we were saying, it, it just it never was, came out. It was a bad match, mostly because of how the gimmicks conflicted. Yeah. Yep. Like, like, like if it was Kidman during, uh, during the flock era where he was being the weird heroin addict kid, uh, when he was doing that gimmick, Maybe it would have meshed more, and you could have done a little bit of a darker kind of storyline with that. You know, Vampiro being, you know, like you know this evil, you know, dude Adam. You know, you could it could have been a good vehicle to like, you know, get get both of them over a lot better. But this was Kidman, well at, you know, Wilson. It's just like you're not paying. No one's paying attention either. That they're paying attention to Tory Wilson. Even the commentators are paying more attention to Tory Wilson. Uh, it's I get it, hot lady, you know, awesome. But it was one of those things where a character like Vampiro shouldn't be like distracted by her. He should be kind of above that. And and he, he seemed be, he should be immune to that. Like with they were doing the shit with Taker, right? And they would try to do like. I remember, like, they'd have Sonny try to, or say, or like, no, Taker, you know, he's immune because he's the dead man. And essentially, Vampiro was the dead man, too, right? So I agree. Yeah. So you, you have a guy, you have a guy in the corpse paint doing, you know, doing the, you know, the, the pump dead guy thing. Like, Vampiro's one of those dudes that if, if you just put him in the right places and you put it right, you could have had a million dollar gimmick. You know, like easily, like you could have, you could have made some serious money if you were just smarter with the book. And they would just book it in weird ways that would totally sabotage them, so that by by the end you couldn't care. And I, I, I really, I really thought it was a major disservice to him, uh, especially this match. It was like it, you're you're do you're trying to do a regular standard you know, babyface heel kind of match with this, but you're doing it with a character who should be doing more concept stuff. You know, like like the, the Sting feud, that was a little more of the concept thing, but the booking 
buried. You know, it should have it should have passed the torch when it set his character on fire, basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it was it was that, and the fact that they had. I mean, I guess for the network, they had to they had to they had to downplay some of that stuff. Like like, oh, yeah. we, we couldn't call it blood. Oh, he's in the red. You know, like that that kind of stuff. Doing those those things, I think it really did him a disservice. And he he he, he should have been making a lot more money and a lot better angles. Yeah, and I don't know if if WWF would have treated him any better at that time because you know the Attitude Era. A lot of that was pretty. Like I'm one of those people. I'm not a big Attitude Era guy. I said this when we were originally trying to trying to review this. Yeah, and I'll I'll say it again. Just just to put it on record. I was not a big fan of the Attitude Era. There are people I I, I loved in that era, but ninety nine percent of the stuff that was on that show was not good. You know, like you're talking like if it wasn't the like the 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 main event of the show, it was not really super watchable. I mean, if you were twelve at the time, yeah, you can get into it. I could totally get that. Except I was at an age where I was kind of past the the, the dick and poop jokes, and yeah. and you know, and and uh, like a lot of the dumb shit that they were doing, the weird incest angle with with Beaver cleavage, all that kind of stuff. I was pretty past that. So it, it, to to me, it was like okay, we got Stone Cold, we got Bret Hart, you know, we, like we got we got Shawn Michaels. I was never a big fan of Shawn Michaels, but hey, you know what? Shawn Michaels at that time, even though he was crazy pilled out of his head, he was still good, you know. Um, Vader at the time. I think that you know, that applies to Vampiro. That sentiment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, true, true. I mean that that's also another factor in, in a lot of this stuff. But I think that the that the booking and a lot of things, for for a lot of things in that era, were uh, were done in such a way where it was more about the car crash Jerry Springer kind of stuff than right. trying to actually be a good uh, wrestling product because there wasn't a, like you're talking like your average Raw at the time was mostly just segments of like oh we're bringing out Sable to do a thing or we're bringing out the and it was a lot of talking. And a lot of a lot of promo stuff, you know, and it was very bloated in that respect because when you got to the matches, you're talking like you'd have a, a, a an out like a two hour raw. I think there were two hours at that point. Um, yep. Yeah, you'd have maybe like maybe twenty minutes of actual wrestling on the show at times until and, and like literally a month before this in January two thousand. I don't think we saw that change on the undercard till the radicals and Kurt Angle came in, and then we said, "All right, now we got some meat, you know, some some more in ring substance going on," which was inevitable with those five guys. You See, know, that, that's what that's what really pulled me back. What pulled me back in was 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 I mean, it was really Kurt Angle, you know, because it was like this is a legitimate guy. They're not going to fuck with a legitimate guy like this. And sure, they they put him in comedy bits. They did it, but the thing is. He leaned into that stuff so hard that he made it work, yeah. and, and 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 that's taking something that's like that would be death for like okay if you did if you did like um, the little cowboy hat thing the vampiro you'd kill it dead you know <laughs> yeah. if you did if you did it to Undertaker you would kill it dead but you put it on Kurt Angle who is a legit guy and and, and he comes out of it stronger because of that yeah. nerdy character yep and. Uh, and, and 
yeah, it worked. The, the, the WWF at this time was in the the peaks that WCW was. When WCW was killing their all-time high ratings, it's when they had that perfect balance of the NWO and awesome cruiserweight action. And the WWF had that balance now, finally, with those five guys, and plus The Rock, Austin's Undertaker's on top. So it was like a perfect storm for them. Nobody was going to touch them at the time. Six years I've been doing this optic. Six fucking years. And this is the very first time that I will ever review any segment featuring Disco Inferno. The Mamalukes, the WCW World <sighs> Tag Team Champions. With, <laughs> I hear the excitement. With Disco Inferno in their corner against another one of my favorite parts of the WCW at this time. This little angle, David Flair, Crowbar, and so sad. Daphne. This made this honestly, you know, I want to shit on this match. And I want to make fun of things, but it just this match made me really sad because unfortunately last year losing Daphne, um, taking her own life, guys. You know, disclaimer: if you have thoughts like that, please reach out. People care. Trust me. There's hotlines. There's help. Please reach out. She was, uh, man. I had. She was. She was my biggest wrestling crush at the time. She was yeah. just such a beautiful girl. Uh, can we talk about let, let's let's not be just Debbie Doubters. How amazing was Crowbar in his prime? He was great in this. Oh, it was. Like, I think Crowbar is still one of the most underrated guys. Like he was definitely an MVP of that era, especially in WCW. Because in WCW, you had a lot of not great stuff, but when you had Crowbar out there, you knew you were going to have a good time. I mean, yeah, sure, he was with David Flair, and, 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 and people have their thoughts, but David Flair, is he, he wasn't good. Um, but when you had Crowbar out there, the man, would, the man would put in the work. He absolutely just, you know, like, you, you knew you were in for a good match if you were good. Even, even if the other people in the match suck, right? If Crowbar yeah. is there, you're going to be entertained to some degree. And 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 he he always brought it. And in this match, he did bring it. He did absolutely bring it. And Daphne was actually really great in this whole thing because like the I mean yeah the gimmick she was doing you know the the running around screaming that kind of thing. I get the gimmick. Um, I loved her. You know she was she was awesome. But sometimes it got to be a little much. But they used that oh, yeah. in the match. They used that in the match, and I thought that was absolutely a brilliant way to do it. Because you're talking this this match is a stretcher match, but the part that I don't get is the referees taking them up the ramp. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't. Can you, imagine, can you imagine when it was Andre and Killer Khan and a bunch of referees trying to get Killer Khan's fat ass on the stretcher? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, why are the refs helping? Like, <laughs> like that doesn't make any sense. Um, but but. I mean, when you get to the spot where they get Daphne on there and they put the sock in her mouth, and I'm like, "That's hilarious!" They got the crowd. <laughs> I, I don't. I still don't know who the fucking heel was in this match because that actually made the crowd pop. Because you could hear the crowd at a certain point actually yelling, "Shut up!" at Daphne, right? I guess the mom. Sometimes the screaming got to be a bit much, but the thing is, I totally got the gimmick. Like Daphne was, yes, another huge crush, you know, in the whole thing. I'm like. Daphne's awesome. There's like I always loved a, a lot of the stuff you know, she did, but sometimes that screaming did get to be a little much. And the fact that they put that as a spot in the match, like and I it, was like brilliant, absolutely brilliant. 
Can I can I go on the record also and saying that I love Big Vito. I love that guy. Um, Johnny the Bull. I mean, no shit here. He impressed me in this match. He did. I mean, I th take the stupid Disco Inferno owes us money and shit, and he's got to be our bitch. These guys made a good mafia tag team. And I look, I fucking hate the mafia gimmick in wrestling. I always have, and I always will, unless it's the FBI and it's like an ironic gimmick, right? I always hate when it's a fucking mafia gimmick trying to be taken seriously. Yeah. This might be the closest to good we're going to get with it, I feel like. I mean, I know Johnny the Bull was pretty green in here, too, but, I mean, kid looked great. and they, The spots looked fine. There was nothing super botchy in this match. It's just the referees wheeling them up was dumb. The, the mama uh, I gotta say, I gotta interject. The only laugh I got out of Disco, like I've, I, I uh, again on record, I don't like Disco. I think he's an absolute scumbag, um, and and his and his opinions on on modern wrestling are completely and utterly wrong. Um, the man's a moron, and and he he has never drawn uh, a dime at all, ever. He's basically just been a guy who hung on other more successful people, um. Cody Rhodes. I, I mean, that Cody Rhodes tweet from a couple of years ago was absolutely spot on. He he was he was the over he was the over with the boys, you know, shithead who should be you know thanking his lucky stars that people you know liked him enough to keep him around because otherwise that, he would have made that tweet zero. Is so, that tweet is so spot on that people send that screen cap to Disco at least once a day in a thread. It's so good. Oh yeah, because uh, it's true. The guy's a dickhead, but at the same time. In this match was the one time I ever got any kind of a laugh out of the disco gimmick, and it was it was just that part where he gets blinded, yeah. and then a pin, a pinfall happens like behind him, and he's going, "Did we win? Was that us?" Or no, no, he's like, "That sounded like Johnny the Bull's leg drop." Was that Johnny the Bull's leg drop? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, "That's the only time." It ever kind of got over with me. Would I give him? Uh, would I buy a T-shirt afterwards? Fuck no. But but we're talking like that one moment. I'm like, all right, I could put up with him for this. Every other time, I don't ever want to see this guy. He's he sucks, right? I totally but agree. We're, that, talk, we're, that we're talking moment, about. Sorry, good. Yeah, I'm just like I'm like that that one one bit. I'm like, all right, you know what? I'm not going to forgive all the rest of this stuff. I think you're still a scumbag, but that was funny. I will give credit where it's due. We talked about, you know, Ed Leslie and Brian Knobs being coattail rise, coattail riders earlier. Excuse me. At least the coattails they were riding on were somewhat prominent and important in the history of wrestling in Hulk Hogan. Whereas the coattails disco rides on is a bitter pilled up fucking asshole in a wheelchair that shits on Japanese guys for honoring Eddie Guerrero, fucking Conan. That's the coattails you're riding. You're already a meme, in my oh, he opinion. Claimed, he claims that was a joke now. Of course he did, because people got there was a backlash, so it's a joke now. You know, of course. I, um, I mean, I mean, a lot of a lot of with disco, you could probably thank Jeff Jarrett for that, because Jeff Jarrett was was you know his buddy who who you know right. He he hung on, but it was just one of those. I mean that that's the thing. The Jeff Jarrett entourage. If you want to talk about like. The, the you know, I mean, we'll probably save it for later, maybe. I don't know. The neo Nazis, Double J, fucking yeah. yeah. Okay, you, okay. When when you talk about Hogan and and his buddies, you got your Ed Leslie, you got your Nasty Boys, you you know, you, like, uh, you know, John Tenta, who you know, John Tenta was 
absolutely I love John Tanta. Um, it, you know, you had like a lot of these guys, uh, tugboat, fucking tugboat. <laughs> you know, like all these dudes, and it was it was like okay, you see that entourage of people always follow him around wherever he goes, right? But then you see Jeff Jarrett and who he has, you know, hanging off him. And I'm like, Hulk Hogan's mates are a lot better, you know, because at least like Hulk Hogan's mates don't have, I mean, okay, Hogan is a racist scumbag, but you have, you, you have the Harris twins, the Harris twins who legitimately have Nazi SS tattoos, you know, at, like, at, like prominent, we're not talking like they're hiding them. They're not like doing the Ludwig Borga. Uh, I, 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 I got, I got a knee pad over it. You know, you know, cover, covering covering a swat sticker because yes, we're Luke talking Borga, their entire left and right biceps and full display. It, yeah, yeah, right on their bicep, full display. Back even back when they were the Blue Brothers, um, you, you know, coming. I mean, they even came out with Nazi T-shirts in TNA, like full blown shaved head, wearing you know, like Waffen SS, you know, fucking merch. It's it's fucking I like, bizarre. I feel like some of that S, some of that SS neo Nazi shit. That design is on the back of the uh, the Disciple of Apocalypse vests too. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it, it was definitely one. Of, basically, anything that the Harris twins were involved in, they had some kind of Nazi thing going on. And and it was like back then, people were a lot more tolerant of that shit because I, I guess you know they ran a lot in the South, and you have a lot of skinheads down there. It's I you know it's it's a thing. Um, and, and, and it's, it's one of those things where seeing them around in 2000 being put into the role, like, yeah, they're just around, but they're, they're shown as the lackeys of, of Jeff Jarrett coming out and, and sure they have, they have the tattoos covered at this show, but these are dudes who are very, very open about how they're super, super Nazi. And Jeff Jarrett is like, these are my guys that I'm going to take with me everywhere. You know, when he went to do, when they did TNA, who, who, who's there? It's the Harris twins wearing Nazi shirts. You know, like, it and it's very, one, it's, it's, it's one thing also to have that shit and to have those horrible beliefs or whatever. But in the wrestling business, you know, I mean, a lot of people don't know, like Harley Race was a Freemason, right? And if you don't know what that is, guys, look that shit up once. If you got talent behind it, and you got some promo skills or something, I guess, then, you know, there's more of justification of why you're on a card. There was none of that. There was no reason for these guys to be yeah, involved in any fucking main event angle. And they just were time after time after fucking time because of who they knew. And the thing, the thing about it that really fucking struck me was that, okay, you've had characters that would use a racist trope or they would use, you know, like Nazi iconography and that kind of thing. And they would do that as like their gimmick, you know, keyword have gimmick. People, yeah. The keyword would be you know, like, Oh, they come out and they would do it as a gimmick to get heat. Uh, kind of like, like, like the iron Sheik would, you know, would come out and, 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 and shit on America, you know, and, and you had your Nikolai Volkov, you know, like stoking fears about Russians and all this kind of stuff. You, Fritz you, von Erich, Baron von Rasky, all those fucking Nazi yeah, gimmicks. Yeah, those were straight up Nazi gimmicks. But the thing was, the Harris twins never had a gimmick that incorporated it. They just were. 
You know, like yeah. when they were the Blue Brothers, they were just they were like basically like um, two uh, party city versions of the Berserkers who had just come out. <laughs> Yeah, you, you yep. know, like like the part, party city party city berserker uh, one and two, you know, they'd come out, but they would have that they would have that tattoo prominently displayed, uh, and they would have all that stuff. That's what really it's like. There's a lot of things that sour me on Jeff Jarrett. There's a lot of things, you know, like like I hated how like you know TNA was basically just a thing to give him belts for a lot of years. Um, you know, he would just give himself the belt all the time. And it was just really annoying. I mean, he barely put anyone over. But then he would insist on having like Disco Inferno around. Um, who and Ferraro? Yeah, as far as I know, you know, Disco Inferno is not like that. But at the same time, they're also hanging out with the Harris twins, who are straight up neo Nazi dudes. Um, yeah. You know, and, and you have like like just a lot of. And you look at that entourage, and I'm like, I can't get into Jeff Jarrett. Like, one, I never liked his character, but the second was the people he hung around and the people that he always took around to different promotions. I, I was just like, there's something. You know, like, I'm not going to say that, that Jeff Jarrett is is that way at all, but it, you know, the company you keep, you know. Absolutely, and you know that's one thing I hate about uh, the IWC is. When I read these asinine comments, like, you know, one of these performers' beliefs in real life shouldn't affect you enjoying them as a character. Absolutely, it should. Absolutely. If, if they tattoo themselves with a logo of, 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 a, of a fascist party, I think, I think that would come into consideration, especially if it's not their bit. You that's, know? that's dangerous thinking. That is dangerous thinking, right? It's exactly why, even though she shits the bed anyway, it's exactly why I don't give a fuck about Ronda Rousey and the Sandy Hook denial and all that shit. It absolutely matters, in my opinion. Why do you think that no one gives a fuck about Hulk Hogan? So we pick and choose when it matters, I guess, right, guys? Give me a fucking break. Uh, yeah, it, it, like that's like uh, I know we're getting completely off on the side, but I think it's really extra important. That no, it's fine that, because that, up that, next yeah. we have we have three shit fests ahead of us, so it's fine. Take all the time you need. I, I, know, I know we're taking a lot of extra time. You only want to do an hour, but we're, you know, we're, we're going long on this one. But I think it's really important to kind of point out that a lot of that stuff shouldn't really be in wrestling anymore. Um, I, think it, I think it's evolved to a point, and it's more inclusive to a point, as it should be, as it absolutely should be. Yeah. There's uh, enough of that. There's enough but, of that nasty hatred in the real world. Like I'm at a point. I don't need it in my wrestling in the world. I need. The, I need my wrestling as an escape from you know all the bullshit we see and, and just the the hate speech we see. It's my escape, and I don't need it in my wrestling at this point. I so if anything else you say on this podcast tonight, I agree with that more than anything. One hundred percent. Yeah. Sure. I, you know, it, it's just I think the days of that because yes wrestling came up on a lot of really really racist gimmicks you know like like okay you had um like i mean kamala uh the way yeah. like kamala was was a bit more fun in wwf but people need to take a look at what they did when they introduced him in in memphis yeah. like that's that stuff was absolutely sickening like what what they did um because it, it was it was just like like him coming out of a swamp and shit and it was it, like they they really 
like we're trying to sell like oh he's this subhuman and all this stuff and i'm like that kind of stuff just it just comes off hateful and it's not fun and it's just that kind of stuff takes me out of it and and whenever i see like jeff jarrett with the harris twins and all that it, a lot of that kind of comes up and it takes me way out of it and, and that's what when, have... when i when i see him when i see him in AEW. It's like, yeah, he's teamed with Jay White, and he doesn't have the Harris twins with him. But how long until until uh, he convinces Tony Khan to hire the Harris twins? <laughs> you how imagine? long? Like how how long how long till that happens? Because I I can see it happening. At some point, gonna... he's gonna be like, hey, I want my people here, and, and 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 he'll bring in you know I mean yeah he probably won't bring in Disco because nobody likes Disco, but I see him bringing in the Harris twins, and if that happens, I will never watch an AEW product again. Get ready, like, Jeff Jarrett. Jeff Jarrett and the Harris twins going to be taking those belts from the elite. Carry on my wayward neo Nazis. Yeah, Good like, there's there's certain people that I will I will tune out of a product, and a lot of it is is is, is dealing with like the Harris twins because they were never good. They were never good in the ring, and they were just it was just a lot of this stuff that like. You know, I, I grew up in a, in, in a community that's very mixed, and it's one of those things where, like, that's the kind of, like, I would be watching wrestling with a lot of people of uh, a bunch of different cultures, you know, a lot of lot of different, you know, uh, races, that because that's just what the neighborhood was made up of, you yeah. know? And and these people, like, like, seeing, you know, like, friends of mine get taken out of it, you know, it, it, it really just makes it just a bummer. To, to watch this stuff. So that's why when I saw them at the beginning of this show, it kind of cast a whole feeling over it. It's like, yeah, the people didn't care. The workers barely cared unless they were crowbar and, and, and did awesome. But that, because they, 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 you know, they appear sporadically, you know, like, Oh, they're trying to open the door. You know, they're trying to do, you know, do a lot of stuff, doing these little backstage bits and stuff. And every time I saw, I, I see them, I just get kind of mad at it. Yeah. And I, I think I, I, I could probably judge a lot of things more harshly based on that because I remember like, like shit that like, like there's stories of like what people used to do to a, a lot of, a lot of workers. If you just happen to not be, you know, one of the Southern white boys, you know, that kind of like, like the kind of shit, like, uh, like with Dusty, like, I mean, I forgot. I forgot who's the one who did it, but there was uh, Dusty Rhodes had a story where he was taken to a clan meeting. You know, was like it, it was, was. Was it Murdoch? Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. Dick Murdoch, that that, that Nazi fuck. Um, yeah. That oh, yeah. that dude, yeah, like he would do a thing where he would he would kind of prank people. Like, oh yeah, you want to go out tonight? Oh, we're gonna go. We're gonna go down. You know, you're gonna go down to the bar. We're gonna have some fun, and he'd bring him to a clan meeting. You know, like that kind of stuff. That is the kind of shit I never want to see come back in wrestling ever. <laughs> At this point, because it's just there's there's no room for that anymore. I think and we I, evolved we've evolved from that into just it's the problem is sex pests in wrestling in the modern era. That's the big you know. That's the. I mean, I, I think that there's been a good job in, in weeding a lot out, and there's probably a lot more that need to be. There's probably there's definitely a lot more that needs to be done, you know about you know, about of course, the sex pests. I mean, the racists—you almost got them all out. You got some left, but but you got most of them out. 
Yeah. Which is which is uh, like at least at least there was some effort there. With the sex past, there's still some work to be done. Like there's some people, you know, like like people should be able to to feel safe going to a show. They should be safe working at a show. Yeah, you know, they shouldn't have not, to worry. They shouldn't not, have to worry about that shit. Not book them under a different mask to pull the wool under the eyes. <coughs> Bandito. <coughs> yeah, that's why I can't get into Bandito. I'm I'm sorry. I can't I can't get into Bandito thanks to that that shit. You know, or or just there there's there's work to be done, but I think I think we're making progress. You know, and, and making it more more open and, and cool for for people. I mean, sure, the audiences might be depleted, but. I'm liking where where it's going now. That it's the complete opposite of WCW in 2000. We're, clean, <laughs> we're we're cleaning up the business. We're gangbusters. Yeah, know? there's a lot of work to do. Like I know you're probably gonna have to edit this down because this yeah. is a big tangent. It's all over the place. Our Rick but, Martel, our Rick Martel episode went three hours. We don't edit. We're good. Yeah, well, they, they, well <laughs> Rick, Rick Martel deserves it. Fuck I mean, yeah. he, you know what? You know I what mean, doesn't he, deserve he it. He may not want to talk about his career, but people should be talking about his career. That man, the man was the man was great. I hope we did him justice. And cheap plug, you guys can check out that episode on demand right here. The next three matches. Speaking of deserving our time, these, these don't. Um, I, I th- that's why I think the the tangent was more worth it because uh, I think we're okay. probably going to fly through these. I'll do my best. <laughs> Ric Flair versus Terry Funk in a quote death match in the year two thousand. This was, oh my god, this wasn't as bad as you would think, but it was by no means great. It, it didn't help that the highlights they showed of these guys were from eleven years prior in their feud, the New York Knockout in nineteen eighty nine Clash of Champions. This was what they opened up the actual pay per view with in the opener vignette. Was a shot of Terry Funk and Ric Flair. My wife was sitting with me at the time. <laughs> and I went to review this. We had just watched Elimination Chamber and that beautiful atmosphere with Sami Zayn and Roman Reigns. And if you guys haven't watched any match this year, check out that match just for the atmosphere alone. So I was like, hey, you want to you know, watch some of this? I have to review the show coming up. She was like, sure, I'll peek in. Opened up with this and the words I was, she was like, who are these hillbillies? And I can only imagine, you know, it, you, you at the time you're a casual and you love The Rock and you love Austin. You love DX. All you flip over and you see this and no wonder they lost the fucking war at this point. And this was this this was a fun little match. It was two granddads beating the shit out of each other, but nobody came out of this any better or worse. This was just kind of there. Yeah. You see, I, I was never a huge Ric Flair guy either. I know that that's probably sacrilege to some people. But with Ric Flair... I never found his promos that good. It just seemed like an exasperated psychopath. Like, it, like it would just be like he would he would talk about how great he is, and then he would he would scream, and then he would get winded. And all his promos to me always just sounded like a winded grandpa trying to argue about a baseball score at you. Kind of and, like, a, like a psychotic, yeah. like a psychotic unhinged sex pest. Yeah, it's just like it's like it's him trying to explain that it was a foul ball and not a home run, but he's getting exasperated doing it. You know, just like okay, settle down, Grandpa. Like, like we'll we'll get you some cookies. Like, just calm, just calm down. (laughs) Yeah, and and that was that was the thing. Is like this is Ric Flair at his most rubbery. Like, man, like I remember there was a website. There was a website years ago. 
uh, I think it was like a GeoCity site or something. It was like Ric Flair is made of rubber. <laughs> I remember this. I do. Uh, yeah, and it was just pictures of him like getting hit or like him getting chopped or whatever and seeing his skin ripple very yeah. strongly. And, and it was like, it, it didn't seem human the way, the way he would ripple, you know, kind of, no. kind of like a, kind of like if you put like a tarp over a pool and, and, you, and, you, and you hit it with a stick a bunch of times, how wavy that man got in this match. I've never seen him more wavy. It was like, it was like he was wearing a person over himself. Yeah. yeah. Or, or, or like one of those dogs with the extra skin, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like you, the- you can almost swear he could turn around in his own skin. On the other side of this middle-aged coin, I think we're both going to completely agree with this sentiment. God bless Terry Funk. What a fucking legend. The man. A man's man. Hardcore legend. Middle-aged and crazy. Chainsaw Charlie. Whatever the fuck you want to call him. Should he have retired? Should he have retired by this time? Absolutely. Had he? Yes. Like six times. But it's Terry Funk. He does whatever he wants. And who's going to tell him otherwise? At least Funk are smart enough to wear a shirt. You know? Yeah, I mean that was the thing. Terry Funk is one of those guys that I would I would want to promote him to sainthood if I had the ability uh, in, in the in the, in the church to do so. I would yeah. be I would be one of those guys who's like, okay, when his time comes, I would nominate him for sainthood. If I was Pope, that's exactly what I would do because that that man is an absolute saint. If I had the power to knight Terry somebody, Funk. if I had the power to knight somebody, we'd have Sir Terry Funk. Trust me. Oh yeah, no. No matter what the honor is, the man deserves it because this dude put himself. Like, yeah, not all his matches were great. I mean, this match wasn't great, but it, this was a dude who, like, didn't even retire. Like, his first retirement was like 1983, wasn't it? Like, In Japan, right? The forever yeah. promo. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, like, this was a guy who retired and unretired and put himself through so much crazy shit. Like I remember, uh, there was a death match, like a, a it was like a death match tournament in Japan, where it, it ended up being like him and and Mick Foley, and it was it was like one of those things where it was like, I'm not big on death matches, but I'll tell you one thing, it's fucking compelling when he does it. It it's nightmarish and absolutely horrifying at times, but yeah. that man, like, he, like he's absolutely deserving of sainthood. Knighting, sainthood, you know, a, a, a congressional medal of some kind. I don't care. Give him all the accolades for it. He might not have been the most technically proficient. You know, he, 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 he might not have been, you know, the, the, the greatest, you know, like technician with anything. But, man, like this dude, even in, 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 in the low times, would put himself through so much shit. Even in this match, which yes was a bullshit hardcore match, absolute bullshit. Um, you know, oh yeah, it's definitely no. It, it really, it really wasn't. It was, it was your your tame WCW bullshit. Even then, he was still trying to fucking get it over. And it, uh, God bless, <laughs> God bless that man. Because exactly, you know, like, does he, I mean, he he tried his damnedest. It didn't work. But just think, not everything works all the time. But that's part well, of being a saint. I think there's a difference, too, between having something work, and I think the key word with a talent like Terry Funk is captivating. Whether the match stinks, like, you know, this, the, it's, it's a reason why Mick Foley remains my favorite performer of all time. 
whether Mick was in a hardcore match, which I'm not a huge fan either of death matches, but when he's in them like a funk, you just can't take your eyes off it. You're captivated. And, you know, Terry Funk, same fucking thing, you know, and it's no coincidence that's Mick's mentor. Uh, Ric Flair gets the win here. Sloppy pile drivers through Taylor. Just, it's whatever. The story to this was just kind of another convoluted mess. Um, Terry Funk managed to still pull off a decent match with Chris Candido with a broken fucking arm. Yep. You know, right. that, that match where they, where they were outside in the barn and shit and he got kicked in the arm, that broke his, that broke his arm. The, the, the amazing thing about Funk, too, is he wasn't just one of those guys who's like, all right, I need to unretire because I need the money and come back. Safe. No, every time that he would step away and come back, he evolved. He changed something, like little tweaks. Subtly until he just got to full I'm batshit crazy territory. The awesome thing about Terry Funk in like the sixties and seventies, he could he was one of those like classic workers. He he could. I mean, his matches like with Jack Briscoe and shit like that, fucking tremendous shit. Very technical. He he could do it all. But he was smart enough to know that time was running out and he had to adapt his stuff. Now, why he adapted to his style just fucking airplane spins with helicopters, and I I'll never know because he's fucking crazy, but he was I mean, a lot of it, it was just just the amount of times he got hurt. Yeah. You know, like he never fully recovered from everything. You know, I mean, no one could, especially the punishment he put himself through. So he had to make adjustments, and he knew how to make those adjustments and still make it work. Even you in know? 1997, three years before this match, in the Beyond the Mat movie, they would go in with him to his, his orthopedic surgeon. He'd show him x-rays like, you've got nothing left. There's nothing between your knees as far as cartilage. It's bone on bone. And he was still going out there three years later doing shit like this. God bless that man. Man, god damn it. Who the fuck thought it was a good idea to put Lex Luger in the main event scene in 2000? Uh, Russo. Yeah. The total <laughs> Not even Lex Luger anymore. Just the total package. Going against the return of the red and yellow in the year 2000. Hulk Hogan, which shockingly... Hogan got the biggest reaction on this entire show, except for the aftermath of this with Sting coming in for the save. That blows my fucking mind. Um, Just Lex a big, Luger, a big schmoz this was. Lex, Lex Luger's gimmick at the time was that he was going around breaking everyone's arm. Brian Nobbs, Jimmy Hart, Hulk Hogan himself. I love in wrestling that if you're in a match and you have a cast on your arm, there's like this this weird little aura force field around it where, you know, if in real life, if you've got a broken arm in a cast and I hit somebody, it's probably going to hurt me too. Probably more. Cause my arm's fucking broken. Not in wrestling. You I mean, Cowboy Bob Orton went around with a broken arm for like five years. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. It turns into like partially RoboCop when you get a cast on Owen Hart, fucking Bob, you know, it, and that was, that was no different here in the structure of this match. Hogan's arm was made of adamantium and impervious. This was, God damn it, a standard, bullshit, lazy, sloggish Hogan and Luger match. The, the only bright spot for me in this match is how beautiful Elizabeth was at her age still in this. And that's another awful, sad story. And it was cool to see Sting with the run-in because I could imagine being a fan in this crowd and is you know sitting through a lot of shit. At least in the Attitude Era, we kind of talked about this in our attempt to record yesterday. At least in the Attitude Era, for all like the Dan Severns and Crash Hollies and the bullshit you had to sit through you know, on the undercard, at least you had The Rock and Austin to look forward to at the top or something cool like that, Kurt Angle. Something. 
it was the opposite in WCW. The farther you went up the card, the fucking more abysmal it got. And I think that was a key thing, too, what killed it. There was no incentive for this company to stick around to the end of the show. When the the main events are, you know, the senior classics and the old-timers tour, fuck that shit. And their bright idea was to make, like, the new blood and to feud that together. That did nobody any favors. It could have worked. It should have worked. It, it didn't. This Nothing about this match worked for me. It was a slog. It was 15 Oh, excuse me. That was the player match. This match was eight minutes. That still feels like a fucking hour for this. Just for a schmoz, like you said, for Ric Flair to run his old ass back down and help Lex after the match. By the way, shocker, Hogan got the pin clean, guys. You know, Terry's business. And Sting makes the save, and, and that, that was it. That was your old, your senior classic tour. I, this, this, I don't ever watch this. Don't ever watch this, guys. What were your thoughts <laughs> on this match? Um, it was one of those matches I really, um, I don't have a lot for it other than it was really sad to see Lex Luger at that point. Like it was really start. It was, it was at that point where it really started kind of getting sad. You know, he, you know, he had the roid belly going, you know, and, and it was just, it, it was, it was definitely that part where you just knew that like time was up on, on, on him and they were still pushing him. God bless him. There's no pushing him. But it was very... It, it felt like like this guy is probably going to die. You know, like that... I had I had that... that you know, kind of like, you know, like Kurt Angle in, in TNA and like, it, you know, in those later stages when his arms got real skinny, you know, and he's all pilled up. That, that, that feeling that like something bad is going to happen here. That ominous... Know? Yep. Exactly, and, and and that was that was the feeling I got from it. And the thing is, I, like I I was one of those people like, okay, Lex Luger, you know, I, I know some people are super fans of him, some people are not. I get that. I'm kind of I've, only, I've been indifferent. I didn't. Yeah, for, for me, yeah, it was definitely a solid indifference. Um, but the thing was that always struck me, which OSW uh, talks about it as well. But it was a thing that I noticed back in the day was how Iron he Mike sold things. Runs. Yeah, the Iron Mike Sharp loudness to his. It, it, it's very 70s, but in a time when you shouldn't be doing that anymore. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know? Like, it was just, like, like just that time where you're kind of like, this is weird because he's screaming when he does a move and when a move is done on him, it's the same scream. <laughs> Time. If him and Iron Mike Sharp would have booked in a match together, they would have broke the sound barrier. I feel like. Yeah, so like that—that that was my only real takeaway from it. Because for the most part, I—I kind of just tuned out on it. Because it, once again, it's Hogan. I never liked Hogan. I was never a fan of Hogan. I was a Macho Man guy, and I, I think that Macho Man got done dirty a lot in his career thanks to that asshole. You know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm solidly a Macho dude. Uh, on that one, so I'm just like, uh, yeah, mm, yeah. You got Hogan in the ring. I'm, I'm kind of tuning out on that one, and the I most, did. The most ridiculous <laughs> line, the most ridiculous line on this whole pay per view was at that very beginning where they were running down the whole card and they talked about this match. And Mike Tanay said this with a straight face: "We don't know if we're going to get Hulk Hogan, Hollywood Hogan, or an unheard combination, an evil combination of both." It's the same fucking guy. What the fuck? It's a black yeah. beard. 
Whoopie doo. <laughs> it's different tights. God, they tried, but uh, nobody came away from this better, especially us viewers. Main event time, and that fizzled out because usually I say that, you know, I'm used to reviewing Brett and Davy Boy, but nope. Three way dance for the WCW World Heavyweight title. Jeff Jarrett, Scott Hall, and Sid Vicious. And thank you for bringing that up. Can I say how much I fucking hate Michael Buffer? And I always have, even as a kid. It's like, get to the point. We don't, I don't need his list of accolades during his entrance. I really don't. The king, the king of Hulk mania. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he didn't give a shit. He, he just, he just cashed the checks. He got more of a payday than anyone on this card just for botching entrances. Yeah. He, he wasn't paid to give a shit. The he word was just over, paid to say, to say his thing. The word overbooked <laughs> comes to mind for this match. Six referees, five ref bumps. This, this has <sighs> got to be a record, right? Oh, it, it, everything about this was pure, pure unfiltered shit. This, and, this, and this, this gargled balls. Everything about Sid and Jeff Jarrett in the world title scene gargles my nuts. Fucking boring, lifeless, again, the word incentive, Essentially, both these guys are heels. So who the fuck are you going to pull for? I mean, they they tried with Sid, but nobody bit, you know? Yeah. I mean, Jeff Jarrett, which, you know, we've already explained, you know, I've always had, you know, a lot of, lot of, a lot of odd feelings about Jeff Jarrett. I was never a fan. I, I know, I know some of our friends are fans of Jeff Jarrett, especially the My World theme. But, you know, it's Jeff Jarrett. I, I never liked I, I, I just there's nothing about him that I could really get into because all it was was a knockoff honky tonk man who drew no dimes. You know, exactly. just you know, like you know, break ten thousand guitars, never drew a dime. <laughs> That's the piece uh, um, I feel like the one guy involved in this main event storyline at the time, the fans still cared about we talked about a little bit yesterday was the guy that was nowhere in sight. Kevin Nash, the commissioner at the time taken out by Jeff Jarrett, blah, blah, blah. That's the people. That's the guy. People, people still cared about Nash. I know Nash was a meme and you know, but he was still really popular at this time. Yeah. Uh, that, that was definitely a solid whole, just, uh, just a, a, a void that was just, take it out of the show to where like, okay, if Kevin Nash was here, I might have a little bit more of a, of a feeling about it because Kevin Nash was the guy I liked. Uh, uh, you're talking about uh, the whole group of people. Kevin Nash was the guy. Um, yeah. So, so how, it's like, this is Scott Hall, but like Scott Hall, as good as he was, he had his problems. And, and of course they've, they've basically advertised his problems all over the show. Um, and he, he wasn't he wasn't like as as tip top as he was earlier on. Like you're not talking like you know, like the days of Razor. Like he was perfectly fucking sharp. This yeah. one he was he was a little is a little off, you know. And it, you can tell it was just like he knew he wasn't gonna win. He wasn't gonna go. He wasn't gonna go over. So he's just kind of like I'm here to just collect the paycheck. And it, and it, it very very much felt like paycheck match. 
we talked about Matt and I talked about on our Scott Hall Superstar Series episode where should they or shouldn't they have pulled the trigger and maybe tried with Scott Hall at this point in WCW? Why the fuck not? I mean, I obviously there was a lot of liabilities if you you know with Hall for obvious reasons, uh, but yeah, I mean, if we're going Jared and Sid, I mean, basically, I would have done it a year earlier. Yeah, their main event scene at, the, at this time was basically. The WWF's 1995 roster it was Double J, Psycho Sid, Razor Ramon, Diesel. That was it. And uh, it didn't really draw in 95, and that was no different here. It didn't help that, you know, time after time after time, the seven-foot destroyer was the guy that had to overcome the odds to some average fucking Jeff Jarrett, and it was just booked backwards. This match is a mess. The lineage of this title is beyond a mess in this year. Uh, Sid does retain uh, the title. So at least you don't get a double J victory to close out the show. And my God, my man, my man, I, we fucking done it. It may have taken two days, but we have covered Super Bowl 2000. What do you grade this letter grade Super Bowl 2000 show? I have to give it a letter grade because I was going to give it a 0.0. Uh, <laughs> I, I would give it a, a big old solid giant F. This is a completely missable show in yeah. every in every conceivable way. Sure, you had your, your moments of crowbar, uh, but it, it still doesn't redeem the the, the fact. Like, as much as I love Norman Smiley, um, it it's it's one of those things where all of the rest of the bad shit completely envelops that stuff to where you j just flush the whole goddamn thing. It, you know, you're like you, you you dropped your nice phone into the toilet and 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 you had really bad bad you know chipotle diarrhea going on just give up on that phone you're not getting that phone back just just leave it there <laughs> you, know? you know like just there's no, no takeaway from this thing that goes hey this is this is redeemable in any way if you, you know, eventually, if you live off the Brian Knobs diet at Chipotle and ice cream long enough, you're going to go have to go take a giant Jarrett or a giant heavy D. And that's exactly what this show was. I feel like, you know, exactly not to piggyback completely off what you said. I agree. I, it's getting an F from me, too. For all the, the little bright spots like the crowbars, the Normans, the three counts, you can find those acts on much better shows than this. So I would suggest watching them on those episodes of Nitros or those other than this, because this was just a complete mess. This entire from start to fucking finish. I can't imagine why they went out of business. You know, I mean, I mean, you're talking when they did this, you're you're talking a depleted roster. You know, Bret Hart was already gone uh, from from the concussions. You know, he he would not wrestle again after this. Like it was like so it was. It, like at the time, it was kind of like, oh, he's out, he's out hurt, you know, oh, he'll be back eventually. But no, he never came back. Uh, Macho Man was already was already let go. You know, you you had a lot of guys who were just not there, and the ones that were there were not there. <laughs> yeah, like you know, so so you you know, you're talking like you know, not only were they depleted, but they were demoralized. You could just tell that like. It was a misery. Doing no, that no, show. no, no, DDP anywhere in sight on this too, and he was still there. He was definitely yeah, wh still. There. Where the hell was DDP? No clue, none. I, I, he'd be in like the world title picture in like a month or two, and the new blood angle and shit. I have no clue where DDP was. 
He couldn't be bothered. Fuck this. I'm not going to San Francisco. You know, we completely gloss over, but it's fine because we talked about the getting the, the best part of the show was James Brown. Hands oh, down. God. We completely skipped James Brown. We, we kind of didn't because at the beginning, we pretty much covered it. You know, Ernest the Cat Miller, fucking love Ernest the Cat Miller. What, it's a guy that just understood his gimmick when, quite frankly, when he started, he didn't. And he kind of evolved into that. So it was, it was great. Just hell of a dancer. I, I, love, I love his delivery uh, of how he talked. Like, it was just like, like I remember when he was, uh, uh, when he was, when they were trying to uh, get Jackie Chan to come to WCW. Yeah. So they would have, or, or just like, Oh, J Jackie Chan, I'll kick his head off. And I'm like, Oh shit. <laughs> I always loved how he, he was so self-aware too. What kind of company WCW was, and what kind of towns it ran. Like every premise, I was, "Oh, you redneck, shut up for a second. Loved it. Yeah, um, he, he understood the assignment. Some of my favorite theme music of all time too is Ernest Miller. That's it. I give it an F two, my man. Thank you so much for filling in the shoes, of my co-host. Once again, where can everyone catch you? All that stuff. Uh, you can catch me Broken Optics on Twitter. That's pretty much it. <laughs> There it is, short and sweet. As always, follow me on Twitter at Puss Hogan. Check out our merch store, unismack.bigcartel.com. Get a book, get a shirt, get whatever your little heart desires. Most of it's always on sale, so you got nothing to lose. Check this show out, Stitcher, Audible, Podbean, Anchor, Spotify, wherever podcasts are aired, we're there. Give us a subscribe, give us a comment. Don't be too harsh. Until next time, the Union Smack Podcast. Ow! It's me, good. See you then. <laughs> Oh my god, I'm ready to do that! Get the <laughs>